0: Welcome, football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lythrop.
1: Hello, football fans. This is episode 72, 2023, week 7 recap and week 8 preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Talk XFL" at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. We have another fantastic show. With Week 7 in the books, we have some interesting results, which impact the race to secure playoff spots. Per usual, we have some league developments to cover this week. In addition, we have three guests. Contributor Mark Hallbach returns to review Week 7 games and preview the upcoming matchups. We also have XFL News Hub journalist Anthony Miller joins the show to discuss the Arlington Renegades. And last but not least, friend of the show and XFL Newsroom journalist James Larson returns to discuss the XFL playoff pitcher. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On march thirty first, the Arlington Renegades hosted the Seattle Sea Dragons. The Sea Dragons defeated the Renegades twenty four to fifteen. Then, on April first, reports surfaced the Seattle Sea Dragons have signed former National Football League all pro running back Philip Lindsey. Among those reporting the signing, Bleacher Report, CBS Sports, MSN, NBC's Pro Football Talk, and Sports Illustrated. Also on April first, the Vegas Vipers hosted the San Antonio Brahmas. The Vipers defeated the Brahmas 26 to 12. Also, on April 1st, the Orlando Guardians hosted the DC Defenders. The Guardians defeated the Defenders 37 to 36. Then on April 2nd, the Houston Roughnecks hosted the St. Louis Battlehawks. The Battlehawks defeated the Roughnecks 24 to 15. Then on April 3rd, per the XFL Communications Department, The Arlington Renegades signed quarterback Kelly Bryant. Then, on April 5th, per the XFL Communications Department, the San Antonio Brahma's claimed quarterback Paxton Lynch. Details of the transaction were not released with the announcement. Then, on April 6th, the XFL announced tickets for its championship game have gone on sale. The XFL championship will be held at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, on May 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also included in the press release, Division Championship games will be played at the home stadium of the team that finishes at the top of each division. The South Division Championship game will be played on April 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and the North Division Championship game will be played on April 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As I have previously mentioned, contributor Mark Halbach returns to review Week 7 games and preview the upcoming matchups welcome back Mark I appreciate you taking the time to return for the eighth time to the show to discuss the xFL week 7 games and preview this upcoming weekends games
2: yeah Michael it's always a pleasure I mean I can't believe we're on week seven things are starting to heat up both for for a lot of teams here and and cool down a little bit for some others so yeah let's uh let's get at it
1: starting with well game one the Seattle Sea dragons at the Arlington Renegades with the Sea Dragons winning twenty-four to fifteen, we've seen recent Renegades edition. Luis Perez was not active, as we had previously discussed. Plitt served as QB one, and Kevin Anderson made an appearance. However, Devion Smith's solid performance of ninety-four all-purpose yards and two touchdowns seemed to be a heck of a performance that would help propel the team forward. However, it wasn't enough to overcome the Sea Dragons. DiNucci, once again, had a solid game, decent passing game. Yeah, even led the team in rushing once again. Here we go, back-to-back games. What about this game that you saw or you really feel like you need to talk about?
2: This was an interesting game to the point where I think everything that we thought was going to happen kind of did. Ben had his solid game again you know his stats say he completed about 65 but he he's got a couple throwaways every every game which is a smart move so he's completing probably you know anywhere between 65 70 percent of his passes Seattle was able to get Josh Gordon involved a little bit more which was good to see we saw the red Zone turnover uh by Danucci which everybody is is saying is kind of the Achilles heel right now of Seattle but they're able to overcome that very well and and honestly, Ben's carrying this team. He's making plays with his legs as well, and he's doing a really good job of, um, you know, spreading the ball out and making plays when he has to. So it's just going to come down to once we start getting into playing, you know, for the conference and in the playoffs, those turnovers and missed points, can they start to kind of you know get a little bit bigger uh, as they are right now. They were a better team than the Red and Gates, I think. The same thing with the Renegades. We saw what we thought we were going to see. Again, Druplet has a solid performance, but it's not spectacular and it's not getting the ball downfield. Like I mentioned early on in the season, that was more important. You're seeing teams get the ball downfield now more, and they're just unable to do that. And they are just stuck. You know, the, the only bright spot really was, you know, they got Victor Bolden involved a little bit more. Canela's is going to have his four or five catches a game. And, you know, they kind of got the running game going a little bit, but that was just in between 30 yard line to 30 yard line. And they weren't really able to put too many things together um, for them to score 15 points is, is good, but it's not going to beat teams like Seattle. And so it's going to be interesting where they decide they want to go here because, you know, they aren't, you know, the Renegades are in the playoff hunt and now Seattle's hot, right? and, so you ran into two teams that coming up in this next week, you know, have, have some games on their shoulders that, that they really need to perform with. But, you know, I don't think there was anything that really stood out as an, oh, wow to this game. It was what we thought it was going to be. And, you know, Seattle came out on top, just like we, we kind of figured they would. And the renegades were going to struggle on offense, uh, like we figured they would. And, and they did. So. I still think there needs to be some changes. I, I know you're going into week eight here shortly. You got three games left. Maybe it's hard to change your play caller at that point in time, but same time, you've been trying to do this for seven weeks now, and and it you're just getting the same result. And I don't think Stoops is going to make a move, but they just they need to perform on offense in order to make the playoffs, first of all, and then second of all, go anywhere in,
1: in the playoffs. you talk about we got what we kind of expected, right? It's it's not getting into being wowed by a play or two here or there. Yeah. I mean, the big wow factor was that that red zone interception to me. I'm like, come on, man. You're the hottest team in the league. Now they still are the hottest team in the XFL. At some point, that's where you need to take care of the ball. That's where you don't take chances. Early enough in the game, I get it, but it does come to a point like you're in a tight race for the playoff spot. This is no longer early. right? This is now, these games, all 10 games mattered, but now these games matter the most. And when you're in the red zone, I think you really got to take care of the ball. And it's not to start foreshadowing anything because it's it, that's too soon. We'll get into the other games, but and I don't want to bag on him because they are the hottest team. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Gordon's not targeted in as the top player or the top two players in the receiving core because he hasn't been. We've seen this multiple games. So it's like knowing that the top player, is they're not forcing it that way, means that they can if they need to if it really comes push to shove. So they're winning despite not really putting it on the back of Gordon. And by making mistakes. So does the team continue to make mistakes? I mean, at some point you'd like to think no you know, experience and you settle down a little bit. Coaches start to kind of hone in on a couple of things here and there. So I'm not going to, you know, bag on them or anything. I know I use that term a lot, but there's no reason to. They're the hottest team in the league. They really are. So th- like you said, it's the result that we anticipated.
2: Seattle's playing. Complementary football. You know, all three phases are really kind of meshing together, and you can overcome a turnover here or there against a team, but you're not going to be able to do that later in the year. It will catch up with you. I have a feeling, but I, you know, we could be wrong in that, in that regard. There, Jim Hazlitt did go over and talk to him about it, and Danucci kind of blew him off as in like, Hey, I've been spot on all game. Leave me alone. I had one bad throw. Now I get that attitude a little bit, but at the same time, you just take what the head coach says to you. Okay. He doesn't, he's not in the meeting rooms with you all the time, but he's still the head coach and he's still going to have his opinions. I think Danucci could have handled that a little bit better, but he he is that type of personality. He was spot on. I mean, he was, that was the only throw I think he missed in the first half. I mean, he was, he was doing great and he's showing why, you know, he was in the NFL and he's going to get signed to another camp. I mean, even if it's just to be a camp arm, you know, I'd hate to say that, but some of these guys are going to get signed just to throw some balls around, but you know what, they get paid to do it. So I would go do it too, you know, but you know, I just, We want to see him work on this. And I think Hazlitt has to just say, Hey, you're doing a great job. You know, you got to do the sandwich technique, right? Management, you're doing a great job. Let's not turn the ball. Let's not make a bad throw in the red zone. Okay. You're able to do that. We've seen that you can do that, you know, and and really keep it positive. Don't become negative. And I think Ben would, you know, kind of accept that a little bit better. But, you know, at the same time, Jim Hazlitt's been in the NFL for a long time. And it's like, Hey, Sometimes you just got to take it and be like, yeah, it was a bad throw on me. Sorry, coach. Let's work on it later on. Okay. Well,
1: why don't we go ahead and take a look at game two. The San Antonio Brahmas at the Vegas Vipers with the Vipers winning this game 26 to 12. I think we've been a bit harsh last week on Jalen McClendon. You have to admit when you're wrong when maybe you weren't quite right, right? You know, there's degrees of maybe right and wrong, I understand. But he actually had a good game going 21-31 to with 264 passing yards, two touchdowns, and even 25 yards rushing. But most importantly, he led a struggling team to its second victory, right? So, I mean, you get into the numbers, and that's not the most important number. The most important thing is the second victory for the team. On the flip side, you got Ben Kurt was given the reins and did okay, going 22 of 31 for 179 yards passing and a touchdown and an interception. You know, there's still a statistic; it's still something there. You know, I know I'm focusing on quarterbacks, and again, that's it is. It's the sexy position; it's the big superstar. Whether it's any league, the National Football League, college football, it's going to be the same deal here in the XFL. It is the person that touches the ball on every snap, unless you're doing the wildcat, folks. It's hard not to keep an eye on them because of the musical chairs that are going on or the revolving doors these teams have been dealing with at this particular position. That's just such a focal and important position. I mean, when you look at this game, what is it that you saw? Well, first, Michael, I
2: mean, we're gonna to have to have a segment, you know, where where Michael and Mark were wrong and where Mark, Michael and Mark were right, you know, you know, segment because uh we were I was wrong on this. Um, you know, I thought this was going to Jalen McClendon at this time was was more of a spit mistake and that Brett Hudley should have probably started. Uh so I gotta give Rod Woodson credit there. He I think he's been building this a little bit here. And kind of protecting them. I think they saw some things in practice early on and were like, well, let's not throw the young man to the wolves. But Jalen was phenomenal. I'm not saying he was great. Now, was he flashy, spectacular? No, but he was great. He To do what he did and then be able to do it also with his legs. He's got that aspect to him. Like I said, you got to get a couple first downs every week with your legs as a quarterback, right? And he's able to do that. And he was accurate and he had he pushed the he can push the ball downfield. So they must have saw something that in him, you know, that a lot of people probably didn't, including myself. And this kid has made is made a name for himself. And if he puts in a couple of games like this moving forward, you know, don't don't be surprised if he's playing really well. And that's what I kind of like seeing here is is this gentleman kind of you know, he started the season with the Vipers, and that's the difference between the two quarterbacks that played in this game, right? One was there for about a week and a half and one's been there all season. But McClendon played. You couldn't ask him to do anything better. If you thought he was even going to have this game, you would have been like, that's the best, that's the greatest scenario there is. So, you know, I was wrong. The kid deserves another chance. He he has put himself on there as, hey, I should be a starter here. And um, I mean, he obviously going to get that chance again this week. Rod Smith made a spectacular play, you know, at the goal line. Avoiding that, and and we'll see that highlight for a long time to come. And Vegas kind of played with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. It's like, hey, we're we're not this bad, and we're gonna we're gonna keep playing hard. So I got to give Rod Woodson credit there. He still has them playing hard. They're trying different things. Bryant returning kicks just to maybe get him a few more touches. Hey, why not? Right. The only thing is, is he's he's still so concerned with the officiating him and Dean must have to sit down every week and Dean's got to give him a dissertation about going out and being an official. If he gets off of the officials a little bit and kind of worries a little bit more about what's going on, I think he can, the Vipers can probably win a couple of games here or there. I think they've been eliminated, unfortunately, because they're in the North division. They're in a strong division for the playoffs, but they're still going to play hard. These guys are still, you can still get win bonuses. Hey, I would want that. And I, I give him credit for trying some new things. And Jalen McClendon was, was a new thing. And and he kind of saw that. Now, when it came to Kurt, Ben Kurt, the Brahmins have an offensive line issue. And, and people are going to say, well, you know, it wasn't the offensive line. You know, it's not always that taking the hits. Well, they've gotten a few quarterbacks hurt and they can't run the ball. So what does that tell you? It tells you people are taking a lot of hits back there. And Kurt, you you saw the flashes of why the NFL teams like him, right? He made one off script throw that I was like, wow, okay, that was impressive. And he's made some timely throws as well that were really good. And then the pass interference call, that would have been a touchdown, you know, barring, you know, a drop. He threw a great ball there as well. So if he's able to go this week, you know, I know that the the prognosis might not be good. You know, I think he should. And and because I think he can still put some he's their best chance to win. And you could see that. Other than that, really, the Brahmas are your stocks either going up or going down. And right now theirs is going down. And they need to they need to do some things on the offensive line, I feel, to to solidify that a little bit more. The defense isn't is all right, you know, they're not terrible. And they'll keep them in games, but you got to score some points and you can't score just 12 points and expect to win right now in this league. Offenses are starting to get fired up a little bit more. So good for the Vipers. Happy to see, you know, some parity in the league a little bit and not those teams that kind of, you know, are in last place, just kind of sit there. They're kind of still trying to make moves, still trying to win and really going for it. So really love to see that. And it was kind of a nice game to watch, but you went in there with two new starting quarterbacks and, you know, for a guy being there a week and a half, he played pretty well And for the guy first start. who has been there the whole year in McClendon. He played really well and you couldn't ask for anything more. So, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Brahmins get it cleaned up and we'll see if the Vipers can ride this a little bit. If McClendon is the spark that they needed.
1: We will take a look at game three. D.C. defenders at the Orlando Guardians, with the Guardians winning 37-36. to This was an absolutely fantastic game. It totally became the game of the week, despite we were pushing another game last week and saying, if you're going to watch anyway. So if you missed out on this, I'm sorry. We pointed at the wrong game again. We we're wrong. We got to acknowledge we we're wrong. This was the game of the week. Maybe you don't agree, but I'm just saying this is the game of the week. And the praised undefeated defenders were in a battle. And I know it initially they took the lead, right? And the, they gained it back at you know, one point and whatever. But it was the defeated counterpart that really just rose up to the occasion. Because the Guardians came from behind and did so by an outstanding performance by Quentin Dormady. Again, why weren't they playing him all along in this made-up issue that almost ruined his career? And could you just imagine? I mean, well, we, we saw it happen, but can you imagine it did ruin this guy's career? I mean, he had 350 all-purpose yards and six touchdowns. Three passing, three rushing. To be completely fair, Jordan Taomu and Abram Smith both had fantastic games. So it's not like the Guardians caught like a one facet team because they couldn't do something else. The passing game was working for the defenders, the rushing game was going very well for the defenders. If you look at statistically, they clearly got 36 points. And I know we can praise the Guardians all we want we have to acknowledge two missed field goals by the defenders likely would have completely changed this. And there was even a slip when kicking off right at one point where that kind of give the guardians a little bit better field position. I understand every phase of the game, offense, defense, the third phase being special teams, they all matter. This case, defenders, special teams was a big letdown. So when we talk about a fantastic game, how they played, the special teams didn't come to play, so I mean, that's my analysis. You know, without tooting the home too much for the Guardians because I had a heck of a time. I lost my voice, and I feel like I'm sucking a lot of cough drops here trying to get it back. So hopefully, it's not too bad, folks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get through this. But what are your takeaways from this game?
2: This was an amazing game, and part of what made it amazing, you know, was obviously the score. If this game was ten to nine, and the Guardians. One, it wouldn't have been as amazing. It would have been a good game, but it wouldn't have been as amazing. Now, do you see, the, you know, the missed field goal, the 29-yarder, the you know, could have been the difference. I mean, the, the one at the end of the game, 63 yards, that's, that's kind of tough. But, you know, you got to hit that 29-yarder, especially late in the game, and to take the lead. But this game goes against everything that I think an upset like this should have happened. Like you're, you're thinking either that the defenders turned the ball over a ton or they just couldn't move the ball or they couldn't score. (laughs) That wasn't the case. The defenders played a hell of a game on offense and, and they did a great job. I mean, Jordan was phenomenal and, Abram Smith was phenomenal and their whole line is just so good. And they did lose their center, which may have impacted a little bit, but they've been able to get through that uh, throughout the year. I mean, they even had, you know, the long, you know, they had an 86 yard touchdown, the defenders. So, and the guardians, you know, like I said, typically a team like this has to play a perfect game. They turned the ball over twice. They, you know, you thought at the end of the game that they were trying to uh, be the guardians again, right. You know, Oh God, here we go you know, the Eli Rogers fumble, and then somehow they get it back. And and that was a, that's a fluke fumble from Abram Smith. That's not going to happen too often. That was kind of crazy how that happened. But Quinton Dormity had the game of the year and he lit it up. Six touchdowns is probably one of the better performances out of a quarterback that you're going to see. You know, obviously quarterback sneaks were part of that, but Credit is where credit's due there. What I'd like to really discuss here is number one, Coach Buckley. We were pretty hard on him at the beginning of the year. And, you know, maybe rightfully so, so, though. I was going to say, you know, and I got to give him and that staff there a lot of credit because they have at least. Tried right? They didn't just say, "Oh, we're gonna be, we're just gonna be bad," right? You know, there's nothing I can do about it. No, they went out and signed new players, signed some new offensive linemen, signed some new. You know, they got Quentin Dormady in there. They changed their offensive coordinator, and maybe that was the reason the quarterback change was there too. Maybe the you know Shane speculation. You know, maybe Shane Matthews really liked Dormady and or didn't, and there was some back and forth there and then you know once Shane Matthews took over and you know everything was cleared for Dormandy then it it was his his show right so maybe there was something there but they seem to be on the same page a little bit more and I gotta give Shane Matthews credit there a, a little bit as well too because he's got this offense rocking and rolling right now and they did a great job with their pass pro the running back was helping out on the ends The tight ends were chipping. You couldn't tell, the ends couldn't tell who was coming after them and who wasn't. They were aggressive against the pass rush of the defenders instead of saying, hey, we're going to take our one-on-one battles. No, they went after them there and it was great to see. The other thing too is the commentators mentioned that Coach Buckley switched anything and everything up that he could. He's like, if meetings were at eight, hell, they're at 830 now. You know, let's, let's, this isn't working. Let's try something else. That's working. You got to give them credit for trying to troubleshoot. And I'm going to tell you this, this is a, I'm going to tell you a story real quick about a conference, a division three conference one year, it was a perennial doormat in their league for decades. And a new coach came in and won four games in conference. And he won coach of the year. They voted him coach of the year because it was so hard to win. They knew how hard it was to win four games at that institution. Terrell Buckley, if he wins four games, now that's pressing it a little bit because they'd have to win out. You know, he's most, they'll be at least most improved, right? But you got to give him credit where credit's due here. He is trying to figure it out. He's trying to learn how to be a head coach as fast as he can. And that's not easy to do him, Rod Woodson, Hines Ward, Anthony Beck. That is a difficult thing to do. So I give him credit. They've been trying everything and they're, and he's got, like we said before, they've been playing hard and it's been that shooting themselves in the foot one or two plays late in the game that has been costing them. Well, they overcame that this week and went toe for toe with the heavyweight, Right. So you got to give them credit. And I loved the lights going out when they scored because it was a night game. And they, I think their uniforms kind of glow in the dark. I don't know. What was that like there, Michael?
1: The experience of this game. And I could get into a whole lot is so different from the games before. And the energy, and I understand the the football, you know, the, the quality you're watching impacts that, but even before we walked in, everyone had this belief that today was the day fans. It's crazy. And there was a good number of DC defender fans there. So, but obviously we didn't know what was coming until those lights went out. And when it happened, I think it just added to them, the vibe. It kept things even more alive. And I don't mean just for the players. It made it a unique home experience. My fiance thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing, and it's just like she was. She was dreading going because this, this team is just so awful. I'm just cuz say, I'm like, they're improving. They're improving, and we got there, and just the whole vibe of everything was different. And I, you know, I, I'm going to keep using that word, but it's just there's no other way to really explain it. It was just all for the better. Yeah, the lights going out. It's just so cool. It, it does kind of have a glow. It's almost like even though the colors are green and they're using green lights, it almost had like this tint of blue to it in person. I don't know how it really looked on television. I I, I'll go have to go back and watch it, but it's almost like there was like this very faint tint of blue, but it made the yellow fluorescent green or yellow, whatever you want to call it, just pop even more like on the jerseys and stuff. And, but you could even see it on like the people's t-shirts like the the people that were wearing Guardians apparel that had that color. And I don't know if they found out, and I'm not saying they put new lights in, because obviously they didn't do that. It's just too much money. They must have figured something out. And maybe these colors were selected for that reason, knowing whatever the stadium might have had. And just knew that if they got the night game, that it was gonna blow people away. Because it did. It blew away. Everyone like everyone just thought it was great. This great things going on. This happens like no one anticipated that's going to happen. It was just so, I mean, I'll go on this whole rant, but I mean like the whole experience from start to finish the fan zone to the very end. And I mean, that's with the guy that's driving over three hours to get there and <laughs> about three hours to get back, you know, once it's late enough, the traffic's not as bad, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel so bad now. I'm going to miss some games or the next game because I'm driving back for my wedding. But, uh, it's just after that, Oh, there's a whole different vibe with the fan base, a whole different vibe with the team. You can see it on their faces coming over the way they're, you know, just they let the fans down on the field at the end with the lights still out like that. And unfortunately I didn't go down on the field because I just uh, had to make the trip home. We we didn't get home till midnight anyway, but anyway, it's just great. I I wish everyone else could have experienced it because for a 0-16, what a difference that day, that game was.
2: Well, it's great to see maybe some traditions, some home traditions kind of come out of it a little bit. Um, so that that is awesome to see. I thought it was cool uh watching it. You know, you could see kind of it glue in the dark. And I wonder who figured that out. If it was just some equipment guy that's like, hey guys, what happens if we shut the lights off after we score? Or if it was a long-term plan and they asked people to to create that. That'd be a great story to figure out. But yeah, there's there's definitely a great there's kind of a little bit more of a feeling behind this Orlando team right now and honestly they're one of the more exciting watches right now I mean after that game I mean they put a game together you know almost they put about three and a half quarters together the week prior and they're scoring points and they've got playmakers and we'll see where they go but I think you're right I think there's a little bit of a different vibe with even the team and hopefully that Gets over to the fans and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see a nice crowd out
1: there. There's one more thing I want to share that I witnessed and I, I, I don't know if the cameras caught all of this. They probably did. I, like I said, I haven't, I have watched the broadcast of it. So for how hard we were about coach Buckley coaching staff dysfunction, right. And just whatever, this is a close knit group of players and coaches so despite whatever dysfunction, despite whatever that situation was dormant, right, that could have make or break any team. This team truly enjoys and loves one another. And I don't have to be out there talking to players and coaches. I can see it. I see an interaction that they are out there and they're a unit, which is hard to believe that a, a team that was 0-6 actually has this. And it's interesting because I... I'll share a quick story, not to be out there to you know, go too long here. I know I didn't play football. I know I didn't coach football. And I played college soccer. And I came into a horrible, horrible program like, like you were talking. Terrible. Casanova College Soccer was a joke. My recruiting class, my freshman class, changed everything. The players that were there ahead of them were all like, we're just here to play soccer because we love soccer. We're just not good. We're never going to be good. Don't hit, you know, they told us on day one. And then we got through a couple of our triple sessions and they're all like, no, this is different. I remember the captain, Steve, and I won't get into his last name, but Steve, he was like, we're going to win some games this year. and not just off talent. Cause you could tell we didn't care. We didn't, we, we didn't buy this, whatever vibe. And even the guys that didn't believe in it all came close knit. I mean, we'll talk about parties and stuff, you know, that weren't. but I mean, it went from that these guys didn't hang out, these guys just whatever they they, all, the team became a family. I kind of get this vibe from what I'm seeing more and more, especially this last game. And I know winning cures a lot of things, but there's a smile, is one thing, but genuine, deep, you can see it in eyes when the players are coming. I mean, this is a different vibe, people. And um, I know I don't want to get speculating on moving forward because we will. I'm really intrigued on this Guardians team. It's not because I'm a season ticket holder. These next 3 games, I'm really intrigued as to what they may or may not be able to do. And I don't I'm not expecting more 6 10 point performances. I'm expecting more whoever's playing them might might be ready for 25 plus. I think this team is Absolutely. they have a belief in them and it's not because we're seeing the momentum just going I'm like I'm seeing a significant change and being there and seeing it in person Whatever you're not seeing on the camera, so like I took that one picture of behind the scenes, like literally I'm literally third row people. I'm right next to the ESPN camera, but you can see everything that's happening, everything behind the scenes that doesn't make in. It's it's really cool. with seeing the players, the coaches that are all walking pre-game. It's just it's different, very different from anything I've seen before. And I've been a season ticket holder for XFL, the Guardians back in 2020. I've been a season ticket holder for SU football, and I've been to plenty of NFL games. I, this is different. This is a different vibe of this team and it's in a good one.
2: Real quick, Michael, when you, when you talk about kind of how close the team is, it seems like a lot of them are that way right now. And I wonder how the hub may contribute to that a little bit more being the fact that you are living together closer and you are. Uh, eating probably at the same time and closer every day and you're probably hanging out at night a little bit more. So that, you know, whereas if you were in the city, yeah, you would have some roommates and things like that, but maybe you were spread out a little bit around a few blocks and stuff. And here they might just be so close. It's like, I, I would put it like when we were in camp, Preseason camp, you know, before school and classes started, you know, all the guys were hanging out and it was only really fall sports on campus, right? And then school started and then it was a little different because everybody kind of had to go to their own priorities a little bit more. But I'm wondering, you know, if a good thing about the hub is the fact that they get to spend so much time together and really, really get to gel. And then also the league kind of gets to gel. So they have maybe a little bit more mutual respect for each other. Just a thought.
1: It's possible because it it kind of gives you that college vibe, dorm living situation where all of a sudden your roommate, you either love or you hate, but typically a lot of roommates get along pretty well from my college experience. You know, my four years I was at school and when that was roommates, no matter if you had a dorm room or, or in an apartment or a house together, whatever, most roommates get along pretty well. Anyway. So the, yeah that's probably a big part of it but I'm like it just I see this in a way that I just haven't seen before because it's different and I don't want to keep dwelling on it but it's just it's it's a good different and uh it's refreshing because you know it's nothing like watching something that people despise one another or we just got to get through the next couple of games so this season's finally over I can't wait you know but it's it's refreshing that they are yeah having a good time they really enjoy each other's company but we'll move on because we can be any worse as much as anything i know i'm bad at it um so i apologize folks but we'll move on to game four with the st louis battle hawks at the houston roughnecks with the battle hawks winning 24 to 15 this is the game that was anticipated to be the game of the week but the defenders guardians game stole that label and the show of the weekend obviously Silvers wasn't active for this game, so McDonald, but McDonald was given the opportunity or the reins to replicate the magic that he displayed from the week before. Unfortunately, he didn't have it. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a funny out of it, but he just he didn't have it. He threw for less than 50% had less than 150 all-purpose yards, although the Roughnecks benefited from two fumble recoveries and a combined 136 yards rushing wasn't enough to compete with the battle Hawks. And I'm not trying to act like the score was so blown out, but it just, it didn't feel like it was really competing at all. And, you know, the fight and the mindset of this battle Hawks team just seems to be really something to appreciate. I like it. I just, everything I hear from coach back as he talks, he was heading in the locker room, just he he wasn't down on the fumble by Hill. You know, Which I was just praising last week, and doesn't mean Hill was terrible. I'm just saying that early loss fumble could have seriously derailed anything that was coming into this game for the Battlehawks. You know, that momentum could have shifted in favor of the Roughnecks early on, yet it didn't because of Coach Buckley and the team, the way they remained focused and just take care of business. So, I mean, I just, without getting into it, I think a lot of it was just the Battlehawks have a very good environment and way of functioning that that's something to be acknowledged and I think it's a big part of just how they are successful that's just my take
2: yeah it's definitely you know their chemistry and their attitude and their mission really is very steady right I think the message from the top hasn't changed no matter what the situation is In that you can appreciate that, like uh, you you know what the situation is going to be when you're walking in every day, right? And you really want to appreciate that. I mean, AJ McCarron is playing so well. Oh, good! It, it's crazy, and it's not like he's putting up 280, 300 yard passing, but he's so efficient, and he's got this offense down really well, and they're able to run. A really pro style offense with a lot of movement, and I think early on they kind of you know were figuring that out a little bit more, and now they've really got it down on what they really want to do. And AJ's just he's out there just slinging the ball around, you know, like it's second nature. I think the game is almost in the XFL is almost slowed down for him a little bit, and when that happens, you know, if you ever hear a player say yeah the the game slowed down um and they're seeing things really clearly and i think he just really is and he's a champion you know he won two national titles right in college he's no i mean he knows how to win he knows situationally what to do and how big situations are um i think before the half right they had a situation where they were able to get a quick field goal you know uh, i mean it was a 59 yarder but it was a heck of a shot but they were able to execute the quick play get it get it at least to be 59 instead of being like you know 60 some yards and we're able to to do that so i mean you got to give him credit there And and darius shepherd has just come along hasn't he both in the return game and the receiving he's just added another element to, to butler uh you know you got the big guy and I mean, McCarron's so confident. He's willing to throw it up to these guys now when they're when they're not even open. And he knows his guys are gonna go get it. And that's their job. And when you have that, you feel really good as a quarterback. And their defense is solid. Like their defense just gets off the field and they don't give up touchdowns too often, you know? And so you gotta give them a lot of credit. They're they're kind of the steadiest franchise you know so far i mean dc as well but yeah you got to give him a lot of credit now on the other side houston i i thought they should have ran with cole a little bit more you know they should have used his legs a little bit more knowing that he was kind of struggling a little bit with with accuracy i mean it, it was obvious you know that that's his one downfall okay he's got everything i feel like he's almost got a lot of other tools But accuracy is one of the the things that is the biggest (laughs) thing, and that's going to be the biggest difference between great quarterbacks and just average quarterbacks. And they didn't use a lot of the, like, in the previous game, they kind of did some, I wouldn't call them trick plays, but they were double moves. They did kind of the fake screen, and then, you know, he threw the long touchdown pass. They didn't really do that here. They just kind of had him dropping back, seeing what he could throw. And he really, early on, I felt like he was making some of those throws. And then later on, he just wasn't. And I thought, well, start doing some zone reads with him. Get his legs going because he can help you there a little bit and move the ball. And they just didn't. And um, I'm not sure Silver's why he was inactive. Uh, It's got to be an injury of some sort. But if he's ready to come back, they got to get back with him and and keep that going. They got a good running game. They got some some guys that can that can run and probably catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit more. And they could use those guys out on the perimeter. I just go back again. How big was John Trey Kirkland to this team? I mean, typically you can kind of overcome a, a, an injury at wide receiver but maybe their deep threat just hasn't been there. And the same confidence isn't in the receivers when throwing it up. I mean, this was a backup quarterback facing one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the steadiest teams in the league. And, and that's a hard win. That's a hard win for the Roughnecks next to get. So I'm thinking they're, they get Brandon back next week and, and he starts and they, they kind of start putting up some more points here a little bit and, and keep going. But yeah, this one was a, you didn't think the battle Hawks controlled the game and you could kind of tell that, and, you know, we're able to score enough and then also get the long field goal. So really nothing there other than, you know, a little bit of worry when AJ went out real quick, but you know, he bounced back up and sometimes you just got to clear your head after a hit like that and shake the cobwebs out and, and get back in there. And he did that and he played well. So battle Hawks going to be tough now because now they're at home. And I think all three games are at home coming up, and uh, so they're going to be a tough. They're going to be a tough out here. So, so we'll see what happens there. In Houston, we have now hit a losing streak, and we can't do that, right? So they're they're going to need to bounce back, you know, this week, and it's an important game for them to bounce back. Otherwise, teams are going to creep up on them.
1: Houston met the North Division. That's what happened, and you know. It- No one wants to talk about one league, this and that. I mean, we we hear about more so in college football. SEC, the SEC, the SEC, right? Nothing stacks up against the SEC. Well, clearly in XFL, the North Division is the better division. And it didn't matter what we thought, and not to go down this road too much because we can be on this all night too, but the reality is, you know, certain teams that we thought were the better teams just haven't really stepped it up this year. And as some of these other teams that have stepped up in, when we looked at Houston, we kept saying, wow, they're better than a lot of people thought. And question is, maybe we didn't quite realize how weak the South was when they jumped out to that for you know record. And it's it's not to take a shot at Houston because that's not what I'm doing. The reality is sometimes it's some some false security in or belief in oneself that can also be your own detriment or demise. And I kind of wonder if that's what's happening here a little bit with the OC. Everyone was praising him so much. And I wonder if all of a sudden now he just needs to get back to X's and O's in a way that he probably did early on to get him to however successful he was. So I'm not trying to take a shot at AJ too much. I'm just saying he may want to just revisit some things that kind of got him to have some success early on. And it might just be that the teams are just talent wise don't stack up. But we'll get into week eight previews because uh, that's kind of where we're headed as we're talking as things are moving forward anyway. And you had just mentioned that the battle Hawks have three games at home to close out the regular season. So in game one, we have just that we have the two and five Vegas Vipers at the five and two St. Louis battle Hawks. You know, I look at this, the Vipers have been officially eliminated and they have, nothing to fear moving forward, but all these players are still playing for their careers and opportunity to make rosters. So this is not a complete, it doesn't matter to these guys. Like you had mentioned, there's game checks to potentially still make and, or whatever, Here, right? a win you get paid more money. We got coach Woodson that clearly had been given a solid or a team that a lot of people thought was going to be a playoff team or even a central champion. And it clearly has not worked out that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to look at these last three games and maybe even this game here as an opportunity to be like, hey, we have nothing to lose. The Clendon clearly looked much better than you and I or anticipated. So I'm not saying that they're going to beat the Battlehawks. I'm just saying the Battlehawks, things are going well. Just don't overlook anything. Don't start to have that false sense of accomplishment because they're in the battle, their, their lives trying to, you know, secure a playoff spot and it's not going to be easy. You know, Vegas can
2: go in with that, you know, nothing to lose mentality and slinging around here a little bit. I worry a little bit about how a young quarterback's going to be affected by a larger crowd in a dome. Now, Jordan and the defenders handled that pretty easily, but the battle Hawks have beaten everybody that is, that is the defenders. Okay. Um, So I think what you're going to see here is I, you know, Vegas is going to play hard. McClendon's going to have a nice little game, but I, I think that, you know, the battle Hawks just with AJ, he's going to sneak it out here by stealing yards and stealing points and situations. And really they're going to thrive off of probably being in St. Louis here and not winning the last time they were there. I think they really feel that when thirty to 35,000 people are there, that you kind of owe them. And um, so I think they'll come out strong. I, I just think overall they're a better team. I'm not going to bet against the Battlehawks this week, but I'm not going to say the Vipers are going to get blown out because it's probably not going to happen. But we'll, we'll see a good game, and if, if a play here or there goes Vegas' way, we could be looking at an upset. But other than yeah. that, I think it's the Battle Hawks game to to really to win.
1: I agree. I'm not trying to say that there's an upset here happening. I'm just saying that Vegas is down or they're out, but they're not 100 100 down. They're gonna they're gonna play ball, and and I just hope that this focus, this mindset of St. Louis continues because I, I don't want it to be a fluke kind of this thought by. Whether it's their fan base, whether it's us in the alternative football media. I don't want to get swindled. I hope that this is really who they are, true and true all the way through. And I think I believe that's the case. So I think that they're gonna take care of business. You know, it kind of reminds me at the tale in the last game. We talked about team and the way the chemistry is and stuff. I believe it was Shepard that was carrying AJ McCarron's sons to him in the post game interview. And, I mean, he didn't just carry him, carry the two sons, like, 5, 10 feet. He brought them from the stands and walked out, which felt like it was about midfield. But it might have not have been. Who knows where they're actually set up. But they kept showing it. He's walking along carrying the kids. And he brings them over and hands his sons right to AJ in the middle of the interview. So, I mean, like, it's hard to believe that a team that's that close-knit that has a mentality that it doesn't matter if we fall behind, which we've seen them fall behind and they had that come from behind mentality and always, the game's never over with, it's hard to rule them out. So I do think it's a battle Hawks game, but I'm just saying, I think Vegas are going to be playing for their, their jobs, their futures. And I think that starts now that they're eliminated. I think now it gets to be like, Hey, I need a roster spot next year. Is it, can I still obtain the, a spot in the NFL? I need, or if not, can I secure coming back to the XFL next year? This all matters. Tape. It all still matters. So that's what I'm just saying. I I think this game is not just easily one-sided just because somebody is eliminated. But anyway, we'll move on to game two. We have the three and four Arlington Renegades at the one and six Orlando Guardians. And I know on paper, when you just look at this, it looks terrible. It just looks like it's, it's a a crapshoot. But, you know, before you would have mentioned 10, 12 points would have won this game, the last time they had met up in Arlington, I might see a team score 10, 12 points, but I'd be shocked if it's the Guardians. I think Orlando coming off that win, they got a taste of success. But here's the thing about this game. This is Orlando season in a nutshell because it's not that they can't afford to lose a game the rest of the year. It's as crazy as it sounds, a 3-7 and seven team in this division might still make and be the second tier. Yeah, mathematically, we've looked at it. But however, Orlando can't lose this game because if, if Arlington gets four, it's over, and obviously then, then they can only win three. But if Arlington loses out – It comes down to all those tiebreakers. That's where things start to get crazy. Orlando has the in-division record is terrible because they have too many losses already. But the reality is they're not out. If they lose this game, they're already eliminated because of the four wins. And then they won't be able to attain that. But if Orlando wins this game, seeing that the Brahmas only have two wins, then they will be up to two wins, depending on... You're right. Even if they get to three... That's only three. No one's hit four. The four will essentially knock them out. That's what's crazy about this. That's what's crazy. It's just, it's absurd, but three-win team could make the postseason. See if Arlington allows that possibility to remain as we go down. It just would be ugly to see that. But could you imagine if a three-win team or a four-win team, Guardians, that looks bad, but that is now rolling, is in the playoff picture? It's a different team, different. I'm not saying they are the defenders, but somehow they just competed with the defenders and pulled it out. So what are your thoughts? I just, I'm not talking about this particular matchup. What's going to take? But I, I think Arlington's got their hands full.
2: Well, I have some thoughts on the playoff format, but we won't go there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and And nobody anticipated this situation, right? It's the same thing when the, the, the NFL national one. football.
1: I was going to say that yeah. there's been some, uh, a sub 500 team that has made the postseason in the NFL yep. before, while a 11 win team did not. Right. I mean, so that's crazy, but it, it is what it is. Right. And,
2: well, the reason for divisions is to create rivalries, right?
1: You can schedule purposes.
2: You could still do that, right? with – having the North and the South, but just saying, Hey, the top four teams make it, you know, but anyways, we won't go there because nobody could see this. Nobody really saw it coming. Right. So we're only talking about it because we think it's going to happen. And we're, we're going to be frustrated because we feel like a good team in the North is going to be left out, but uh, that's, that's the stakes that are at hand. When it comes to this game though, I'm kind of down on Arlington a little bit and, You know, I want to ride this wave with the Guardians. I don't know, sometimes after you've had such an emotional game, it's hard to do that again, or it's hard to even, you know, play half as well. You see it in college a lot, right? You know, somebody, you know, like an FCS team or, you know, goes in and beats, you know, a SEC or a a Big Ten team. And then the next week they play somebody from their own conference and lose, you know, because, they spent all their emotional energy and energy on the on the one game, which is great. So hopefully they don't have that letdown, and it's going to be coming down to Quinton, right, Dormandy? This is a different Guardians team than we've seen. He's gotten better and better each time he steps on the field, and if he plays like he did last week, the Renegades don't have a chance. I'd hate to say it. You've shown that you can't really score points against anybody. What's the difference with the Guardians? You know, I think you're going to see Luis Perez try. You know, get in that game, and he might give them a a glimmer of hope here and there. But it's hard when you've only been there for a week and a half or two weeks, like I mentioned before. But if somebody can do it, it's it's Luis, right? I mean, we've seen him do it before. So, but I'm excited for this one. I think I think Orlando could get their second win here and knock off Arlington which then just opens up that whole second playoff spot to a lot of people. And if Arlington wins they're they're now shooting for the top playoff spot. So big game for really Arlington. If you ask me, I mean, this is, you know, as close to a must win or playoff game as you can get now down the stretch in conference, right? You're starting to play two out of the three games are probably in conference right now. So it's going to be big. You know what, if I, who do I want to see win? I want the guardians to win just to kind of add to that chaos. But right now I think guardians are actually playing better than our Ar-
1: Ar- Arlington. So. And the fan base is energized. Now it's not just because they won't the win. There was just, like I said, there was that environment, that vibe. is totally different. The QD 12 champ. I don't know if you guys could hear that on the broadcast. And I know I posted a video of me sitting there and the people were doing it. And then eventually I got in on the QD 12. People are loving themselves. Some Quentin dormity, and they're doing a playoff from Tom Brady 12. Cause it's Florida, you know, and obviously, but I mean, it's QD 12. They're loving it. Might have to be, I might have to make some t-shirts up. I've been doing some mock images. I don't know if I like them yet, but I'm thinking about making some QD 12 shirts and just throwing them out there people. But Hey, Hit me up. Let me know what you're thinking about. That's not what the show is about. But, hey, we might get some merch out there. We might we might do something interesting, even though it's for a team that's not that beloved because there's only 7,000 people in the seats. But we might have an energized seven or 8,000 next game, and that's all that matters. And that could be enough to get the team to raise up their emotion and their energy level. So, hey, I'm liking the Guardians' chances because it is it's all or nothing right now for them. They lose that game, it's over. And now they're actually playing a game that means something more than just a win check. I think it literally now is like, hey, we have a chance in the playoffs. And this is it. This is their championship. Because If they lose it, it's over, right? This, to me, this, if I'm Coach Buckley and company, this is how I'm selling this game to everyone. This is it. This is our championship because we don't have a, a shot at the championship unless we win this game. So it's all or nothing. So in coming off the last game, they know they're capable of it.
2: You know, just, I'm going to say this before we finish the the things, but uh, this is a good game time too. This is a, you know, 3, 3 p.m. Central start on Saturday. We've got a noon start on Saturday. And then we got two Sundays, you know, at two and at uh, six, you know, all Central time. Sorry. I'm in the Central time zone. So, I mean, th- looking at this week, right, this is kind of the setup you want, like every week almost. I would rather see the Saturday night games and then the Sunday afternoon, right? But people are watching Sunday night football. So there's a difference here, but they, they got a good time slot in Orlando, you know. Whereas I feel like sometimes the games may not attract a crowd because they're, they're not at a great time or date. And the league knows this. Okay. They're not idiots. They got some, some very top ticket operations and data people working on this definitely with the, with the backing that they have, they know what they're doing. So this is one of the better times. I feel like Orlando got for a home game. Now, unfortunately you're not going to be there. So, but you know, but hopefully maybe a few thousand people, you know, maybe a couple thousand people show up because Hey, it's a Saturday afternoon and and we got something to do. So,
1: but we'll see. So our picks for the guardians. Yeah. I I
2: really am going to pick the guardians. Uh, it might be, I might be going with my heart here a little bit more than any analytics or anything or anything else, but honestly, they, they played hard and the last few weeks and they kept getting better. And like I always say, championship teams get better, right. As the season goes on and you know, I give coach Buckley credit, right. His team has gotten better and it took, it just took a while to sort out some things and, in leagues like this with 10 games, you got to get that sorted out within one or two games. Right. And, you know, some teams are still trying to figure it out, still trying to add players Arlington, right. We just added a quarterback Bryant um, from Clemson and Missouri. So, I mean, they're even still trying to add to theirs to get, you know, somebody maybe that's more, more, a little bit more dynamic that might be able to run some RPOs or something. So, I mean, these, these, these teams are still pumping and they're still working. Their personnel departments are going. And that's what I like about it is they're 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 trying to get better and they're really trying to get better.
1: Well, it's going to be interesting because new quarterbacks, it can be good or bad, right? Because, you know, if there's not a lot of chemistry. That could be the bad thing. But the good thing for a team is the other team doesn't really have any film on you to see what you're going to do with that quarterback. So that is a big question mark, no doubt. So, but we'll move on to game three here. We have the four and three Houston Roughnecks at the two and five San Antonio Brahmas. If the Roughnecks can take this game, which I anticipate they're going to, even if Cole McDonald's playing quarterback, I just think it's, they're the better team, all around team. Whether it's even offensively, they have a rushing game. I'm just I don't understand why they're not using Bryson I uh, no, Bryson Eileen more. I think he's just a fantastic, versatile guy. You know, and, and knowing that missing Kirkland there. I don't know why they want to bring back a guy like Aaron Nelson that they have released because I know a lot of people don't know him. He played, played for Baldell. It's a D3 school. He runs like a 4-3. He's fast. He's I mean, and I, I've had him on the show twice, and I'm not saying this just because I had him on the show. He never really got a shot. And I'm not saying he maybe he just didn't look good, at but I'm like, when you have speed like that and you need somebody over the top, you've lost your big threat. Maybe that's what you need to do is bring a guy like that back. But I mean, they're not, they're obviously in the driver's seat in this division. So that's, that's not going to make or break their game. But a guy like using Bryson Eileen a little bit more. I know he got Borgie and you know everything's looking good with him. But I mean, at some point, why not be a little bit more versatile? Why not use the guy that's got a lot more speed and explosion? And he's just so agile. I mean, I, I would like to see that a little bit more because. Houston's going to run away with it, but this would be a perfect game for them to start trying a little bit more of that because they're, they're in. I can't imagine even if they lose out that they're not in with four, four games. Cause we just talked about how a three, three win team could potentially make it in there. So I think they're in. Why not start working on what you need for the, actually the semifinals and potentially championship game if you can get there.
2: Well, you know, you definitely got to lock it up. Right. And, you know, the, with San Antonio, you're just wondering who's going to start at quarterback for him, right? Is, is Ben Kirk going to start? Um, does Cone come back, uh, pass, is he going to be the guy for the week? They just got too many question marks at quarterback right now and offensive line to really compete with Houston in the, in the defense. And, like you mentioned, even if McDonald does start, I think maybe they do different things with him. You know, they realize maybe they can't just run the off, run. You know, the the offense they want. They maybe they do a little bit more. You know, plus one runs with them and and given using his legs a little bit more. But if if Silver starts, you know, then they can run their offense and they can go from there. I I don't see the Brahmas in a huge upset here. Um, even at home. I, I think Houston takes this easily. Um, Even, you know, Houston, again, the last two out of the three games are against the South. I mean, they're, they're, you know, against teams that they beat. This is a big one for them. If they lock this down, at least they, you know, at least they're going to be, you know, five and five, six and four going in, which, you know, you're going to win a division with four teams at six and four in a 10 game season. So, I don't think unless you see a total breakdown by Houston and a phenomenal game at quarterback for the Brahmas which we haven't seen yet, you know, Houston's got this one I think and and then I mean if the Brahmas lose and the Guardians win, Guardians are threatening to climb out of the cellar to win here and there and uh you know, we'll see if they can do that. So I think Houston's just too good. I I just and it's not going to be a great a spectacular game, I'm sure it'll be about, I think it's going to be maybe about 26 to to 14 or something like that, even if the Brahmins can get to, to 14, but I think it'll be a good enough game that it should be on ABC and we should get some decent ratings at that time slot.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's Houston's just too talented and I'm not trying to act like they obviously are running away with it like they did the beginning part of the season, but they're just too talented in this division for them not to and if, if they don't it's uh, be a shock I, I think that'd be an upset we could see some people storming the field in San Antonio I'm not saying literally but I mean like it just could you know energize the fan base knowing the mountain that's ahead of them with their quarterback situation it's heartbreaking that that happens to teams and that guys can't stay healthy for whatever reason anyway because that's just a bad situation with Sinek going out for the year cones health, We got now Ben Kirk with some broken ribs. It's hard to put a competitive team out there, even if you wanted to. Knowing that they have offensive line struggles is just hard to do that. So it's I I can't see it. And if they do, then we'll be talking about what we're wrong again next week. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Last but not least, as always, Game 4 of the week, we have the 6-1 BC defenders. It's odd to say that they're no longer undefeated. I thought they might have gone the whole way, but anyway, the six and one defenders at the five and two Seattle Sea Dragons. Now this game is very intriguing to me because the defenders just had a wake up call, and it's not that they played a terrible game because they did not. It's just the fact that on any given Saturday or Sunday, on any given day, you can you can lose even when you play pretty solid, and. They need that because the team coming in is the hottest team in in the XFL right now. The five and two Seattle Sea Dragons. Now the Sea Dragons play well enough, always well enough. And but we've kind of seen that with DiNucci. This is where I kind of think I think DeNucci needs a solid game because I think the defenders are going to be coming and they're go- they're really going to hone in because they just lost it's their wake up call. And yes, it's on the road. I'm not saying – I don't know who really wins this, but I think if the can't bring in his A game and throw around 300 yards, take care of the ball what it needs to be in the red zone and don't lose those opportunities, so even if it just at minimal results in a field goal, but to walk out of those situations with points and not give up possession or additional time possession to the other team, I think Seattle has a chance here. But I mean, I think this obviously is the, this is the game of the week because the other thing that's on the line is that if Seattle can win this game, it takes away the tiebreaker just from head to head. It starts to move that if the tiebreaker comes down later on. And that's also what's important is that if they lose this game, if the sea dragons lose this game, they lose that tiebreaker. And then if it really comes down to even if they win out and DC ends up losing later on it, gets a little bit more dicey for them. So again, I don't know how I picked this, but I I think this is going to be a solid, fantastic game. Can the streak keep going? Do you think the sea dragons can keep the win streak alive?
2: Yeah, this is going to be interesting because this is a, this is a rematch of week one, right? And, you know, DC won by four points in that game. And, you know, we felt that, you know, Jordan wasn't putting up the yards and numbers early on, and Danucci was turning the ball over a couple too many times. but now that Jordan has kind of put a couple of games back to back together, if he has a strong game, Danucci's going to have to match that and that's where the turnovers in the red zone when you're when you can score points you know so it's giving up points right? Would you be able to overcome those? This is a one possession game, I believe. I think it could come down to who has the ball last and what are you doing situationally? You know, are you managing the clock right before the half? Are you managing it before the end of the game, you know, to sneak out some points and to kind of take that situational advantage? Right. So this one's just, this has got all the makings for a great game. And great conference game because it's for first place. Basically, Seattle needs it to jump kind of to the top, and they're hot. And when you're hot, you're hot. But at the same time, the defenders got a little workup call that they can play a really good game and still just lose it. If DC has the game offensively that they had against the Guardians, I think they can win. they, They win this game, obviously. And Seattle has to have that, you know, to going to have 300 and sub yards passing and he has to have zero probably interceptions, especially in the red zone. And then who's making their field goals and who's making their conversions. That's going to be the biggest thing, you know, who's making those because those points at the end of the game are going to be what's different in, on the conversion side of it. I feel.
1: We should mention that Philip Lindsay has signed with the Seattle Sea Dragons. That is a huge pickup for Seattle. That's already on a roll. So I'm not saying that sways the game, but that is another quality player. They have production coming from everywhere. I mean, with his various receivers. I mean, we've talked about how Gordon is not even the most targeted guy in the receiving core. But now you're adding another running back. Everyone I and mean, just they got talent, and this is why Seattle's definitely in the mix, not because of this, but this is the type of thing that they just they can spread the ball and they can be balanced if they want on throw, run, and I know we could say the same thing that else happened with d c on the other side. This game is just it's to me difficult because of the ramifications that are surrounding this game it's just it's tough because all streaks come to an end because we just saw it last game with the DC defenders losing and the losing streak came to an end for the guardians. So that's just what is tough. I just don't know, but there's just too much on the line here. But if I had to pick, I had to pick, I say it's DC.
2: Yeah. I, I feel like they're the more complete team, you know, a little bit, but Seattle's defense have been playing so well. I think we don't talk about them enough. We talk about Greg Williams' defense a lot when they're playing well, and they they gave up a lot of plays against honestly a team that um, was starting to make plays, right? You know, Orlando was starting to get better and better and get those wide receivers that they spent a lot of draft capital on, you know, the ball. So we'll we'll see how that that goes. When it comes to Lindsey, I, I think maybe he gets you know five six carries or a catch out of the backfield. I don't think he's really gonna you know, be too much of an impact. One of the biggest things you need to do in this offense is you need to be able to protect the passer. And as a running back, you got to be able to do that. And so the person who does that the best in the, in kind of Seattle's offense is going to be the guy that's in more, but we'll see how much he gets. I don't think Lindsay is going to be a, really a factor yet until later on, if he gets rolling and if he gets rolling and Danucci's rolling, yeah, this team's gonna be hard to beat. Keep your eye on who's making their conversions, though, because a point here, two points here, I feel like at the end of the game is is the difference. And if you're making your conversions, I think you're you're going to be the team that wins. And you're making your field goals when you have a chance to do that. But exciting game, and this is a this is a heavyweight matchup. This is probably you know two winners really going at it. So, you know, hopefully it, you know, exceeds all expectations.
1: Well, that's the last game to preview. Mark, as always, it is a pleasure. And I appreciate you always finding the time, even when trips, we thought you weren't going to be available for this one. Somehow, you know, the things just altered in the galaxy, maybe mother nature played a hand in it, obviously, but, it just opened it back up. So you're back. So you're not missing any time. So I appreciate that you're back on. So we got to, you know, discuss week seven, got to preview week eight games. And uh, so thank you.
2: Absolutely. Always my pleasure. And uh, looking forward to this week's uh, slate of games here. And I think uh coming down the stretch now, I mean, uh, everything kind of matters a little bit more and a little bit more importance to what's going on. And, but Teams still trying to improve themselves with late signings. And, and that's that's uh, kind of the name of the game.
1: Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting to see games matter. And I know we kind of always look at that with the National Football League. The games really matter in the XFL as we come down the stretch when so many teams are still in it going into week eight. And it'll be interesting to see who's still in it after week eight. So I'm looking forward to these conversations because – I will be making the trip north to go put the you know final touches on the wedding that's coming up the following weekend. So I'm going to need you, Mark. I'm going to need you big time because this guy is not going to be as knowledgeable. But, folks, bear with me. That's what we got Mark here for. He's going to carry the Player 54 banner for us and keep things rolling, hopefully.
2: Have a good time up north, and congratulations. And, yeah, we'll we'll keep her rolling here.
1: All right, till next time. Unfortunately, Mark's vacation was cut short. However, it essentially worked out so he could bless us with his analysis. So if you have a moment, be sure to show Mark some appreciation for making himself available to discuss these XFL games. I will now be joined by XFL News Hub journalist Anthony Miller to discuss the Arlington Renegades. Welcome, Anthony. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show to discuss the Arlington Renegades with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Michael. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It is a pleasure. You know, for those that don't know, we've been trying to do this for a little while, and life is hectic. Doesn't matter. We're busy. But we always can circle back, and here we are. Before we begin, I always believe it's very important for people to have a good understanding of who the guest is, right? Because everyone comes from different circles. Different people follow what they follow. They don't follow what they should, probably. So to help my listeners know who you are, it'd be beneficial if you could share a little bit of your background, you know, kind of how you got to where you're at today, what shows, what websites, you know, what beats you might've been on. I mean, I'm sure there's things about you I don't even know, even though I'm very familiar with you, but I don't Mm -hmm. probably know everything. So this is probably a learning opportunity for myself. So if you wouldn't mind, would take a moment and jump up on your soapbox and kind of, Share a little bit about yourself so we have a better understanding of why you're here to talk about the Arlington Renegades.
0: Oh, man, that's a loaded question. All right, let me get on the soapbox here. So, back in 2016, graduated from college with a broadcasting degree. So, during my college career, I did a lot of sports for West Texas AM University, worked at a local radio station in Amarillo, Texas as a sports anchor for over a year plus. Um, after I graduated college, I was a TV news reporter for about two and a half years. Started in Wichita Falls as uh, kind of behind the camera, but then kind of worked my way in front, and then got a morning news reporter job uh, in Sherman, Texas in 2017. Worked there until the end of 2018. At that point, made a decision to change the sales. So I'm that's my day job is I'm mean, sales. So I did that for eight, nine months, and then I really missed the broadcasting side. So I was very lucky that Mark Nelson with uh, XFLboard.com, brought me on to cover the Dallas Renegades for the XFL. So that was kind of my first writing gig. You know, I didn't get paid for it, but I I just wanted to get back into broadcasting somehow. So started that, uh, was able to get credentialed, covered the XFL in 2020 for XFL board. It was an unbelievable experience. And then obviously COVID happened. So I kept writing, eventually moved on to XFL News Hub later in 2020 when the news came that The Rock and Danny Garcia were going to by the league with Redbird Capital. So then since then, I've been with News Hub covering, you know, the XFL, USFL, did a little bit of CFL writing, you know, I kind of wrote about the NFL here and there, but my love has always been for alternative football. It really started with the XFL back in 2001. I was literally nine years old when the league came and I was a big WWE fan. So that kind of transitioned into me watching the XFL and kind of fell in love with alternative football. watched that, watched NFL Europe. Watch ufl just watched all the indoor football leagues so uh, that's kind of where my love for alternative football was i've always tried to get into writing for the nfl but my heart was never in it it's always been with these leagues like the xfl the usfl so yeah so i've been writing for since 2019 so about four years i've been at this thing
1: i may have missed it i'm pretty good at usually listening to people but wasn't there a brief moment
0: where you were Involved in podcasting with the the brawl? So, yeah. So there was a short time where I did an XFL show for a few episodes with James Larson, who's with XFL Newsroom. And, yeah, we did about a few episodes there. Kind of dropped off because life happened on my end. So kind of wish we would have stuck that out. But I just got so busy, with, especially that was COVID, and I was bouncing back and forth with jobs. Yeah, I did a show with James. I even had my own podcast called Beyond the Pigskin during COVID to try to help me cope with it. So I did about 10 episodes with that one as well. I I don't know. I just never could never really get hooked on the podcast thing. Always wanted to do it, but I just, it's a lot of work. I mean, I respect like you and everyone else that does podcasts because it's so much work. I mean, you have to get interviews, you have to record them, you have to edit them. And it's just like, man, I'd rather just write an article for like an hour or two and just be done with it than uh, put on all that work for a podcast because it is a lot of work to get a podcast together. So I respect people that do it week after week after week. I'll be honest.
1: I think I bit off more than I originally anticipated to chew. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to do 20, 30 minute shows. I'll just talk into the ether for a little bit. Just talk about whatever the biggest thing is going on. And then I was just like, you know, this, this part just talking. doesn't feel natural. I'm like, yeah. now I gotta, I'm going to see if I can get a guest on. Not that I need a co-host, but I'm like, you know, I'll just see if I can get a guest. And not to go on this rant for too long or ramble on, but it literally spun into something I never anticipated this show to become. And my fiance would even tell you that it's probably a full time job, you know. And that's it's it's crazy because it it doesn't pay like the day gig folks. Uh, But anyway, yes, it is it is a grind, but it also has become fulfilling in ways I never in imagine, but it's also brought me to people like you to talk about the Arlington Renegades. So when I look at this team, I think like everybody else before 2023 kicked off, many alternative football fans, members of the media, rated Arlington, the staff, the roster, pretty high. And they believed that they'd be the South Division's front runner and Potentially even a favorite to win the XFL championship. Now, the weird thing is, fast forward seven weeks, it's not looking that great. Week one, yeah, it came from behind. Like, okay, they just, you know, week one or two, everyone knows. Yeah, they have a short preseason or training camp. They don't really play spring training or, you know, um, preseason games. But here we are. Week seven, they're three and four. They're in the second spot only because the South Division, oddly enough, has all four teams still in it, even with a one win team somehow mathematically is still in the picture. I don't know what, where it went off track. You know, we unfortunately have a lot of trains derailing here in the United States fairly recently. And I, I'm not laughing because of the destruction and the yeah. mess stuff, but I'm, it's just a reference that for whatever reason, the renegades seem to be very similar situation here. And now many fans are believing the team struggles are linked to co-offensive coordinator, Jonathan Hayes, you know, because they had that set up with Chuck long and they think maybe that Hayes's play calling is out of touch. Seeing you're in Arlington, you're covering the team. You're you've been to the games. Obviously I'm in Florida. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue other than what I can read from folks like you. What is it that's hindering them? Is it the talent not what it was believed to be? Is the coaching staff, were we just a little too high on it? What is it? Is it a combination of two? I mean, is there something you could put your finger on, so to speak, to to kind of help us out? Where is it not quite living up to expectations?
0: You know what's funny about this team is You can compare the Arlington Renegades team very much to the Dallas Renegades in 2020. I mean, good defense, good offensive line, decent running game. But the two things that have killed this team in 2020, and I think the same thing is happening this year, quarterback play and lack of playmakers at receiver. This was something that was, and both teams were well hyped before the season. Everyone thought, "Oh, they're going to win the XFL championship," including myself. I believed that they were going to do it again, you know, do it this year because their defense was really solid, which they have been. I thought offensively, you know, they have Kyle Sloter. They finally found the quarterback. The receiver position was always the part that I was really concerned about. I knew Sal Canella was going to be the number one guy as a tight end. But I didn't know which receiver was going to step up. And this year, the answer is none of them really have. I mean, Tyler Vaughn's has been fine. I mean, for the most part, the the receiving core has just been very bland, very average. There's not really any big playmakers on that team. I mean, LaJuan Winningham, I'm still trying to understand why he doesn't get more targets because that dude is a big target in the red zone. And he has made some really nice catches. I wish he would get more playing time and get more targets but that receiving core is just really weak first of all that's one major problem I and and, you know I hope that guys like Javante Payton uh Victor Bolden they're being brought in to try to add some firepower to that offense add some speed on the outside for receiver uh we just haven't really seen yet which comes to the second problem quarterbacks I know people have their opinions on Drew Plitt I actually don't think Drew Plitt's bad I don't think he's great either. I think he's a rookie. He needs more development. But I thought he ran the offense a lot better than Kyle Soder did. He was more accurate with the football than Kyle Soder was. And he was more athletic than he was. Drew Plitt is a better fit for this offense than Kyle Soder was. I know people were kind of upset that you know Kyle Soder didn't have the weapons he had. And then he got released. He just wasn't a fit for the offense. It doesn't mean Kyle Soder is a bad quarterback. I just don't think he was a fit for Jonathan Hayes' offense at the end of the day and Chuck Long's offense. He just wasn't a fit. So Drew put fit better with it. My hope is now with Luis Perez coming in, I'm hoping that he could be the spark that kind of lit his offense. And he's a good fit for John Hayes' offense. You know, Jonathan Hayes likes to run a lot of short, quick passes. Luis Perez is really good at that. Luis Perez is not going to bomb a deep very often. He's not really that deep throw quarterback, but they don't really need it in Arlington because they don't really call that that much. So they just need him to be, you know, dinking the ball off, being consistent, making sure he's not turning the ball over, which he has done pretty well with. So I'm hoping he can step in there, but the but the problem has been the quarterbacks and the receivers. And yes, I will say Jonathan Hayes, I've been pretty critical of his play calling. I don't think he's really been that great starting off. I think he's gotten much better over the last couple of weeks. He's being a little more creative. He's taking more shots. So I think he's getting more comfortable with it. I thought the offense looked really good last week against Seattle. They just need to learn how to finish drives. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, this was the – so last week's game against Seattle was the first time they ever had over 300 yards of offense all season long, and it was the first time that they scored more than one offensive touchdown. So little progress, but still, like, that's something that should have been done week one or week two. You You can't be successful that way. I feel so bad for the defense because I think the job that defensive coordinators, Tim Lewis and Jay Hayes, have done, they have done a phenomenal job. That defense is so good and they've had a lot of injuries. I mean, that secondary has lost three or four key players like Josh Hawkins, and they've been able to still step up. Like, Will Hill's been great. Donald Payne's been one of the best linebackers in the league. TJ Barnes has been fantastic against the run. Like, that is a really good defense that's just being let down by their offense. So, I think it's a little bit of a combination of the quarterback play, the receivers, and Jonathan Hayes' play calling. I'm hoping it all comes together this weekend against Orlando and it improves. But you know, right now, it's a very, very slow progress there, and they need to kind of speed it up because they only got three weeks to get this done. They
1: say that defense wins championships. I believe that can be true, but they have to have some help from the offense. And I think that comes not only from scoring points, but I also think it comes from staying on the field long enough to give the defense a breather. So, yeah, I mean, that, that defense has been lights out, actually. I mean, for anyone that, for whatever reason, doesn't see it, I mean, obviously they don't give up a ton of points, but that team, is playing out that defensive side, is playing out of their minds. It's definitely the offense. And, you know, looking at, you know, some of these quarterback changes, you mentioned how Plitt had started. Well, I believe it was the first two games of the year before Slaughter came in. I think it was week three. Yeah. I don't have that in front of me, but I'm trying to go off memory here. And Slaughter had it for a little while. Then we got the game where Plitt and Slaughter had shared drives, you know, depending on whatever, you know, get my drive for a little bit mm-hmm. and somebody else to come in. But it just seemed like there was something there. You could see what with Kyle on the sidelines and I know we've seen other players that are vocal or frustrated, but it just makes me wonder is there a little bit more behind that? And I'm not I'm not seeing he had the answer. Is it that he just didn't think this was a good fit for him? Did he realize it? And was he just frustrated? And maybe that came to his playing on the field because maybe he just didn't want to be there anymore. Was it something that you know maybe he knew that his leash was so short? That, you know, the frustration was like, I'm not going to have enough time to actually earn this to keep this spot. Right. So I'm just saying there's a bunch of things there. But obviously, they made a change, you know, with quarterback, not just only back and forth within who they had on the roster, because on March 27th, the Renegades released Kyle Sloter. And I think it was a surprising move for a lot of people, regardless of going back and forth not really having a guy, but I don't think anyone expected a team that was still sitting in second place in the division would just up and get rid of a guy that a lot of people thought very highly of from his time in the USFL with the breakers that it warranted him another shot with an NFL team. And obviously he didn't latch on, but that's, that was a shocking move. And then just to follow that up again, the following day, they traded away linebacker, Ryan Mueller to the Vegas Vipers for quarterback Luis Perez, as you had just previously mentioned. And okay, they didn't play him because very short week. You know, a couple of teams have played somebody with less time with two two days, like Kurt Benkirk with the Brahmas, which is kind of surprising. But uh, and then heck, we're not even that far down the road again. And I understand injuries happen because most of their the interchangeable parts were not due to injury. But now here on April 3rd, the Renegades acquired another quarterback, former Clemson standout, Kelly Bryant. So it makes me really wonder. Is there frustrations coming from the quarterbacks? Maybe they realize, I understand Plitt just went on the reserve, inter-reserve, correct? I I believe that's what we had just seen. Yeah. Makes you also wonder, like, did Luis get in here? And there's frustrations they're not seeing what they kind of had hoped to see from Luis, because I think Luis is the ultimate professional. If anyone goes back a couple games where he was going back to the sideline Talking to the OC there with the Vipers, and he was just talking about you know plays and just the way he was coaching people to move them around. I'm like, it seems like he has a great mind. He understands it. That that's what you'd want. But then it makes me wonder why is Kelly Bryant now here? So what's going on? Is there bigger issues than just the quarter the quarterback can't connect to receivers if we don't know who who's gonna actually get it done in the receiving core? Or is is there something more?
0: So I think it's there is some frustration with how the play calling has been, with how John Hayes has done it. It seems like it's gotten better, but I think that's been a clear frustration. And I, Kyle Sloter has mentioned that a few times, and that's something that's been broadcasted, like on on ESPN and stuff like that. Like that he has mentioned, like, "Hey, we just need to throw the ball more. We need to throw the ball more." That that's something that he has not um, hid. Um, that was something, and and that's probably the difference between him and Drew Plitt Is Drew Plitt wasn't really doing that that much. He's made, like, comments about it and stuff like that, but not at the level Kyle Slaughter has. So, I mean, I asked Coach Bob Stoops about that last week on why he made the decision to move on from Kyle Slaughter. And, you know, he just mentioned that, you know, he spoke about it with the coaching staff Monday morning. They made a decision to, to let him go. So, kind of a vague answer, but, you know, I think he just wanted to keep it behind closed doors. But I think the reality is, I think Slaughter was a little frustrated with how the play calling was. And then at the end of the day, it's probably just wasn't a good fit for it. Luis Perez is the guy that I think would adjust well to it because I mean, you got to think about this guy has just been moved around constantly between teams. I mean, he's played with the Birmingham iron and the AAF. He played in the spring league. He played in the USFL. Um, He played in the XFL in 2020, playing for two different teams. So he's moved around a ton. So he can adjust to offenses very well because he is very smart. He can adapt to a playbook very quickly. And he has a very, I don't want to criticize him for it, but he's got a, a game manager type of style where if you keep the offense simple for him and just let him do like quick throws, five, eight yards, get the offense moving, have a solid running game, he's going to manage the game for you very well. And one great thing, one thing that he has an advantage of over Kyle Soder is he protects the football. Um, You know, Kyle Soder threw 11 interceptions in the USFL last year. He had more interceptions than touchdown. And a lot of people contributed that to his ankle injury. Okay, I can kind of understand that. But the same issues were happening this year, and he wasn't injured. So I just think Kyle Soder is kind of turnover prone. And Luis Luis Perez is more likely to protect the football better than he can. So I think at the end of the day, while Luis Perez is not the athletic type, he can use his leg assigned, but he's not as athletic as Drew Pitt. He's going to manage this offense a lot better, which I think should lead to a little more success offensively. And then for the whole, the, the Kelly Bryant thing, I mean, I don't think Kelly Bryant's going to really play. I think he's only there to add depth. I think at the end of the day, I think Luis Perez is probably going to be the starter. And I think Kevin Anderson is going to be the backup moving forward. I think that's how it's going to go. If Kelly Bryan's active, it's probably because they're going to use him in some offensive packages. Besides that, I I really don't see him getting significant or any play in time. I think he's really there just to add depth to the quarterback position.
1: I think it's tough to bring one quarterback up to speed really quick when you're in a playoff hunt with only two games remaining. I think it's really tough if you're going to put that time and effort into two. So again, I I'm, Everyone that listens to the show knows I don't have a playing background with football. I obviously never coached it or anything, but I mean, I we know how important that quarterback position is, and to see those uh, those um, pickups this quick, wow! That just that puts this team in kind of a tough spot. I know they're in the second spot, uh, spot, but let's be realistic here, and let's go ahead and look ahead to next week. They have the the Orlando Guardians on the road, so at Camping World Stadium. This presents an opportunity for them to eliminate a fellow South Division challenger. It, they only have one win, but if they can get this victory, they eliminate the Guardians. Mathematically, the Guardians would be out. As well as it would really put them in a very good position to secure. Now, it doesn't guarantee it, because the Brahmas are only a two-win team. So if they can get that fourth win, even if the Brahmas pull something out with their quarterback stable also being very dinged up, and there's a lot of question marks now looking at that, with the Benkirk posting of, uh, it sounds like he's got some rib injuries, it may keep him out. I mean, likely. If, 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 most people, I think, would take him out, unless he's playing for his, his own future with the National Football League. He might just put himself out there in a way that uh, I don't think most would. But, So when you look at this, seeing the Renegades have been struggling. They're making several roster changes. While the Guardians are improving, and, I mean, they came off a heck of a game. I don't think anybody really anticipated them knocking off the XFL leader. But, I mean, they they came to play behind Dormady. Six total touchdowns out of their quarterback. They found new life. I mean, and in that stadium, just to share, it was crazy. The fan base, whatever the 7,000 were there, were actually in it, energized, believing the chanting of QD12. It took life of its own. I don't know if they could hear it on the broadcast because I haven't watched the broadcast. But these are the type of things like Arlington now is facing or a rematch with the Guardians. It's not the same thing. It's by far not. This is a different Guardians team. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs because the hill or the mountain just seems too high for them. So, you know That's going to be a heck of a journey for them to achieve it. This Renegades team, can they put it together now that Plitz out? Obviously, they moved on from Slaughter. I haven't seen if they named QB1 for the week, so I don't know if it's Anderson, if it's going to be Luis. Like you said, Bryant's really too new. So, I mean, like, what can we expect from... The Renegades here in Week Eight, when they can knock out and just eliminate this the one team I would be worried about that could potentially make a run on them, the Guardians.
0: Yeah, two weeks ago, if you would have told me that this game has significant playoff implications for both teams, I would have said you're out of your mind, Michael. But I I gotta say the Orlando storyline is phenomenal. I'm actually really happy for Buckley. I know he's had a rough season, and I saw the last Player 54 episode where he was pretty emotional after the game, after they just finished pretty much their, their 0 6 now in the season. There's some frustration with him. And even just a Quentin Dormy story. I mean, talk about a guy that was on his own island for a few weeks where everyone thought he had given off plays, he was cut, and then he was put on the president's list, and then he was exonerated that he didn't actually do it. And he comes in and just kills it the last two weeks. It is. I think one of the most fascinating football storylines I think I've ever covered in my life, and I, I I could not be happier for them. Now, with that being said, going into this weekend, honestly, like San Antonio, I'm not concerned about. Their defense is great, but they have so many injuries on offense. They've had issues of quarterback, issues of running back. I don't think San Antonio is in it. Now, I think whoever wins this game this weekend between Arlington and Orlando I think has a good chance of finishing second place. I think if Arlington ends up losing this, I mean, think about the last two games they got. Next week they got DC, week after they got Houston. That is a juggernaut of a schedule for Arlington that I I don't know if they can survive through that. So they have to win this weekend. I mean, they have to beat Orlando. And it's going to be a tough challenge because right now Orlando probably arguably has the best offense of the league in the last two weeks. I mean, that passing game has been great. The running game has really picked up. I mean, uh, Darrington's been fantastic. Jermaine Martin finally picked it up uh, last week. Cody Lattimore's been fantastic. Just the weapons they have on that offense. That offense is fantastic. The, the only thing that hurts the Guardians is that their, their defense is absolutely atrocious. So that's the only thing that really hurts them. But that offense is great. So I think if Orlando puts up over 20 points, I think Arlington's in some trouble. I really do. So... The Renegades need to find a way to pull this out. They have to get a win this weekend. They cannot afford to lose this game. If they lose this game, I think Orlando has a good chance of running the table and getting that second seed because right now I think San Antonio's out. Arlington, they, that offense needs to pick it up. They need to support that defense.
1: It might not even take 20 points. It could be. I'm just looking at a lot of the score lines for Renegades. It doesn't typically take many points to win the games that they're playing in. You know, it could be fifteen, somebody's between fifteen and twenty. I'm not, not saying it's a guarantee, but yeah, it might not even take twenty points. The thing that's interesting is that the Guardians just played a heck of a game against a solid defense. And Greg Williams has had that defense just working over offenses right and left, and just most teams just can't figure it out. Now, the Guardians did luck out by some I'd say unfortunate. I wouldn't quite say poor special teams play because I think, you know, one field goal of the two missed. I know one was, you know, a significant distance, but there was even a slip on a kickoff that helped the guardians with, you know, some field position. So let's not say that the guardians went out and just willed it hundred percent into existence. They made it happen, but even if they had it and they lost by just a couple points, it just tells you the team is different. So either way, Arlington has definitely got to be on notice. This is their season. Because I think if you knock out the Guardians, I think getting that fourth game, sadly, I think it it takes care of it. Because this is what's also kind of crazy, is that when you look at it and if the Guardians can win this game, that changes that technically a three-win team could, could win the second slot. I mean, to even think that a four-win team was still a losing record would be just terrible. But we've seen a team or two in the National Football League secure a division spot uh, back in the day, what, seven and nine. We've seen that happen Mm -hmm. not even a handful of times. But I mean, it's just hard to believe that we're going to see that. But I mean, if they lose the game, we could probably see it looking kind of rough of, Record wise, who can make it in the second slot? So, I'm I'm not to put all the pressure on because I am a season ticket holder for the Guardians and I would love the Guardians to keep this kind of Cinderella story alive, overcoming all this adversity and all the odds, whatever you want to talk about. But the reality is, Arlington could just finish them off this week. So, if you were to pick it, what happens here in week eight between the Renegades and the Guardians?
0: I'm probably picking the Guardians, if I'm being honest. I think they're just a hotter team right now. They have a lot of confidence. Even though they've only won one game, the last two games, they've played some, uh, even the last three games, I should say, um, including the Vegas game. I thought they have played really close. Offense has been really good. Really, the major issue with this Guardians team right now is just fumbles. I mean, the, the offense just, they find ways to fumble the game away, and they just need to learn how to protect the football that way. Because even in the DC game, fourth quarter, they had two fumbles. Like they were literally doing everything they could to shoot themselves in the foot and lose that game. They were lucky that DC was not able to really put anything together. But I think that offense is great right now, and I think Arlington's defense. While I think they're really good, they're put in a position where that offense is just not quite there. You know, I'm really interested to see how Luis Perez plays and how much he changes this offense, but. I mean, right now, I just have more confidence in the Guardians as much as I hate to say that. I can see the Guardians win this game, and I think they're going to. So I think at the end of the day, we probably will see a 4-6 and or a 3-7 team actually go second in that division, which I I need to say is an absolute travesty if that actually happens. While it would be an interesting storyline going into the playoffs, I think if that ends up happening, the XFL is going to have to re-examine that, and I And I think this needs to go for any spring football league. They need to get rid of divisions, especially if you just have eight teams. Just have everyone play each other. And if you need to space out the schedule how you want, but the top four teams need to make the playoffs. If you're in the NFL, it's a little different. You got multiple teams. You got 32 teams. So it's okay if like one gets through on the occasion. But it's it would be a travesty to see a team like. The Renegades or the Brahmas or the Guardians make the playoffs at three and seven or four and six, where we all know that Seattle and St. Louis are way better than them and could beat them.
1: So you have just said the Guardians are your pick. And before that, a little while ago, you said you believe whoever wins this game is who essentially takes the second slot. But really looking at the other games, is there any possibility? I know the defenders at Week 9, they've had their wake-up call now, right? Now they are going to probably go to work a little bit harder. And Coach Barlow has those guys, as as funny as it may be, listening to the song by Tim McGraw, Humble and Kind, before they kind of get started. They kind of put things in perspective. Well, if that wasn't quite enough perspective, I'd be interested to see – what he's going to do now to, okay, maybe the game itself was enough of reality. We got to get back, work hard to, you know, do our jobs, just take care of what's in front of you. So that game we know is going to be tough, but then also they close out against Houston at home, but Houston's had their own struggles. I mean, they have really started out as that team. Like, wow, you know, we looked at all the odds coming out. A lot of people thought, and I was even harsh on them after the draft. I'm like, Hey, I just think they they had a terrible draft. I don't think it's going to work. And I was eating crow for the first four weeks of the season myself. And then they met the North Division, so they have also faced some uh, faced their reality that maybe they're not quite as good. But the fact that the South is a weaker d- division, and they're facing a little bit of issue now at quarterback because I don't know exactly what's going on with Silver's McDonald looked pretty good in the game that he came in against you know the defenders, but then he didn't quite take care of business the Battlehawks. So is that a winnable game if they were to lose against the Guardians? If there's a must-win after that to keep the season alive, to get to that fourth win, how much of a percent... I, I, I don't give them a chance against DC. I, I think that it's just mm-hmm. that loss is going to resonate with them. They're going to shore up whatever. And they really weren't even bad. had great offense, uh, passing production. Smith had another 100-yard rushing game. I mean, so when you really look at it, they weren't terrible at all. It's just their special teams kind of let them down. They put up enough points, 36 points. So, I mean, I can't see them not performing against Arlington. So, it seems like the only other game is the Roughnecks. So, is there any chance? Or what chance do they have?
0: So, I agree with you about DC. I don't think they have a chance to win that game. I think we just marked that as lost. Roughnecks? yeah, I think that's a winnable game. I think that's definitely a winnable game. Look, I think the big thing with the Roughnecks, since Kirkland's been injured, that passing offense has not been the same they have good weapons offensively but they really haven't had that defense like Kirkland was a difference maker that's a guy that's going to get NFL looks and I think once he went down with an injury that offense just folded since then and I think not having Brandon Silver I mean while Cole McDonald is a really fascinating prospect, and I think he can be a decent quarterback, he needs some more development as a passer. The, the reality is Cole McDonald right now is more of the elusive rushing quarterback than he is as an efficient passer. I mean, it became it was clear this weekend against St. Louis, he, he needs to work on his accuracy. He was very erratic with his throws. They were very inaccurate. He has a lot of work he needs to do there. I assume Brandon Silvers will be back for Houston within the next week or so. I don't know how serious that injury is, but I assume he's going to come back. He is a better fit for A.J. Smith's offense. I believe that it's a winnable game. It's going to be tough, but that offense has not been the same for Houston. So that at least gives the Renegades a chance. But again, it feels like every game for the Renegades, it depends on the defense. If the defense can create turnovers and if they can get points on the board and if the special teams has a perfect game, like if Taylor Rosarino can hit all of his field goals and Marquette King can get over 50 yards per punt and pin them inside the 10-15 the yard line, then they have a chance, but they need somebody on offense to step up. So yes, I think Houston's a winnable game. I think it's still a very tough game for them, though. I, I don't know if they can win that game or not. It helps they're at home, but it's going to be tough.
1: The only reason why I ask is that, yeah, I think Houston is the better team. But since Kirkland's been out, they haven't quite also been the same team. So it just makes you wonder. It's always tough to believe that somebody, and I'm not saying talent is talent. and Whoever you rely on, you rely on. But it's like, it's tough to believe they couldn't find somebody else because the way that they do use multiple, I mean, Borgie's pretty good. But I mean, I think Bryson Mm -hmm. Alene is a heck of a talent and yeah. uh, you know i'm surprised they don't utilize him more because i mean he has a plethora of skills that could be utilized and i just don't think they're utilizing it so i mean i think maybe they're keeping some things in their back pocket maybe they didn't they thought they might have shown too much and maybe they're sitting on i mean it just could be you know i'm speculating right? so i'm not trying to act like i know anything but at the same time why i think that's an interesting game coming down the stretch is that even if they lose to the guardians and that keeps them alive. The guardians have got to keep winning one slip up, and it'll pretty much take it and knock them out. So the fact that they have new quarterbacks in Arlington, it buys time to build that chemistry, figure out what's good. You no, know, if they're going to keep altering or improving the offensive playing calling, it could just be enough that it changes the, the team week to week, that when that game comes around, it will depend on who the quarterback might be. And, well, health is plus or minus for any team. And it could even be a positive or a negative for the Renegades or the Roughnecks when it comes to do. So, you know, they say, so when you get hot, and the fact that the Roughnecks are not hot right now makes you wonder, can they get hot again? Can they turn that around? And the fact that the Renegades have never truly been hot, Makes you wonder that, well, they haven't really just been hot and cold, hot and cold. this If they can get it going now with a Perez, even if it takes them this week to lose, but it takes time. I mean, heck, Dormady was with the team split in week one before his situation happened. He stepped away, came back, and downtime's downtime, but they could figure it out. So why can't they potentially figure it out with a guy like Luis Perez? I know it's all hypotheticals. So it's all Speculation, but that's the fun part sometimes to talk about games and try to look ahead and see what could happen because this is going to kind of be a a crapshoot coming down the the stretch. And one loss here, one win, but they can take care of business right now and take out the biggest threat this weekend.
0: I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea if you can have me predict what's going to happen two, three weeks. I just can't predict it, just because this this division has been so crazy, how up and down it's been like literally for the Renegades it's been win loss win loss win loss loss like it's they've been really inconsistent San Antonio has never had a good offense all season but their defense like they're very similar to the Renegades they have a great defense but that offense is just so inconsistent and honestly that offense might be worse than the Renegades which might be hard to to say and in Orlando they've only just picked it up the last 2 3 weeks and now they're finally being successful Houston, they've gone on a three-game losing streak. Like you said, they went through the North Division, which most of the South has at this point, and they've, for lack of a better term, they've gotten their asses kicked by the the North outside of Orlando being D.C., and that was barely a win. But the North Division, it's very clear that they are a superior division over the South Division. And I would even say the Vegas Vipers might be better than most of the South Division right now, especially with Jalen McClendon, how he's played. Like, they took it to San Antonio. They took it to them really good, and I think if this if that Vegas team played Arlington today, I would probably take Vegas to win that game. I think Vegas, I think that whole North Division is better than most of the South Division right now.
1: Just let me know if I got this stat- the stat wrong. I believe if the last time I had seen it, that despite there being eight teams in the XFL, was it twenty six different? quarterbacks have played did you have you come across that stat was it was it pat patrick that put that out there
0: oh if pat said then yeah that's probably accurate which would not surprise me at all
1: I, i might be just picking the wrong person but i remember seeing it and somebody had said 26 different quarterbacks i haven't done the math i haven't gone through it i'm thinking well heck the guardians alone have already had four play. so i mean like okay and then you start looking at what, three quarterbacks have played in, in Vegas? So that alone, I mean, if you keep adding them up, right, you just keep going. We know there's two in D.C. and whatever. Just, we already know now there's going to be a plethora in Arlington and San Antonio. But that alone makes it impossible to actually predict anything moving forward. Because if you don't know who... And are they going to keep picking people up on the fly because there is no trade deadline? Did I ever miss that? I haven't seen anywhere there's actually a trade deadline in the league. So I don't think so. No, I mean, what makes us believe that, you know, as soon as this week is finished on Monday or Tuesday, we don't see another quarterback release or pickup? That's what's crazy is that it's impossible to really know just based off of the one position most teams that we've ever seen in the National Football League. You don't really have rotating quarterbacks unless you have no quarterback at all. Well, this kind of it's it's shocking, and you would think like at some point we gotta have a guy that you have more faith in. And the fact that you don't, that's scary for any of the teams. And the only one remaining take out Houston because I think all they gotta do is get one more win and they're a lock. But the only team that seems to figure their quarterback out is Orlando right now. So by looking at that, but they had that steep mountain to climb. But we can sit here and talk about what ifs, could ifs, and we're not betting. I'm not a betting person, so I'm not putting money on it because it just is impossible to get it right. Somebody's going to luck, you know, luck out and get it right, but it wouldn't be me, so <laughs> I'm not even
0: sure. I mean, think about this. What's the, the The big separation between the good and the bad teams right now is you look at teams like, D.C., you look at teams like Seattle and St. Louis, the reason why those three teams have been successful is they've only had one quarterback all year round. A.J. McCarron's been great for St. Louis. Ben DiNucci, he turns the all over a lot, but he's still a really good quarterback. And then D.C. has had Jordan Tiamu. Yes, De'Ara King has played, but all three of those teams have had stability at the quarterback position. Those guys have started every single game this year and look at the success they've had. Everyone else, they've had to rotate through quarterbacks and they're struggling. You need to have stability at the quarterback position. That's why that position is so important. And that's why the league put money into the quarterback position by hiring Jordan Palmer to be the director of quarterback development. That's such an important position. And we are seeing firsthand why it's so important to have a good quarterback and have, a, you know, have stability at that position. Because the good teams are stable and the bad teams are not stable at that position.
1: I agree. I couldn't have said it any better. Anthony, it has been a pleasure. I really appreciate us being able to, to figure out a time and make this happen for you to come onto the show and discuss the Arlington Renegades with me. And, you know, I'll leave the door open if this is ever a possibility, even if it's several months down the road, to circle back. I'd love to have you come back on again. You don't have to commit to anything. I understand life happens, and there's so much that can just uh, change in in the future. So thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me on, Michael. Really appreciate
1: it. Well, you're welcome. Before you go, I always give everyone their opportunity to plug their social media, so people can follow them, their work. Also, if you have the websites and stuff uh, for the news hub, please do because I mean I, I'm a firm believer of elevating everyone, not just those in my realm. But hey, you know, you did me a favor for coming on, so please pl- plug all your work if you could.
0: Yeah, so um, you can follow my work on Twitter at by Anthony Miller. Right now I'm doing a lot of stuff for XFL News Hub, and then obviously the USFL is about to start up, so I'm doing a lot of stuff with the Houston Gamblers stuff. So if you want to check out that work, you can go to xflnewshub.com or go to usflnewshub.com, and uh, yeah, you can just follow my work there. I'm trying to plug out a lot of articles right now, and uh, yeah, if you want to check it out, check it out there.
1: Season's only going to get more interesting as we approach the playoffs. So do not tune out now. If anything, start reading more and get up to, you know, up to speed on whatever you might be lacking because this is going to be an interesting run to the playoffs. And when the playoffs happens, it's going to be also interesting because if the Guardians can keep it alive, they keep this momentum going, and they somehow continue to improve. I'm not, we're not going to go here because we're, we're wrapping up. But like, could they be the story moving forward so yeah let's keep in touch with everybody and know what they know because everyone has different connections and uh they have different conversations like you just had an interview with bob stoops which i have never had so people these are the people we want to be following people like anthony thank you for coming on so
0: thanks michael appreciate it sir
1: you're welcome anthony and i have been communicating for a while Our schedules finally allowed us to coordinate and discuss the Arlington Renegades and everything surrounding Coach Stoops' team. It is always great connecting with alternative football media members, but having Anthony is a treat. I have followed his work for years, and I am grateful for having him on the show. If you are not already following Anthony, I recommend you do so. Finally, XFL newsroom journalist James Larson returns to discuss the XFL playoff picture. Welcome back, James. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show for what I believe is your third appearance. This time we're going to talk about the XFL playoff landscape or what could be, may not be, but those that are still
3: in the hunt. So welcome back. What is new, my friend? Oh, there's a whole lot that's new. I mean, it's been a wild few months here in spring football land with all sorts of leagues and the XFL coming back. And uh, I'm just enjoying soaking it all in. Well, I know the
1: XFL season is in full swing. We got these playoff landscape, and I know there's a lot going on with the lead up of those other leagues. So hopefully your thoughts can just be honed in on this playoff landscape of the XFL for a moment.
3: So, Yes. Yeah, we got a lot going on over here with the uh, Week 8 coming on up. Oh, yeah. Just uh, three weeks remaining.
1: But why don't we go ahead and get started with the North Division. Despite being an early favorite and having a record of two and five, the Vegas Vipers have been eliminated from the 2023 semifinal pitcher. I know when we had initially talked about doing this, we we're like, oh, everyone's still in the pitcher. Well, then, you know, you had to wait for the games of the weekend to completely play out. So there we have it. There's one team eliminated. It's Rod Woodson's Vipers. But when we look at the rest of the division, the DC Defenders currently have a, have a record of six and one and sit at the top of the North Division standings. They are followed by the five and two St. Louis Battlehawks, and then the five and two Seattle Sea Dragons. Obviously, these standings are close, and with each team having three games remaining, there are several of scenarios that could play out and determine the two finalists. So. What first comes to mind when you look at the North Division standings and the possibilities over the next 3 weeks?
3: Well, first and foremost, I want to comment quick on the Vegas Vipers because of course they were eliminated this week, which is unfortunate because I myself, like many others, saw them as a team that was probably going to play in the postseason this year, so it's a little surprising to see how the season went. But on the bright side, team's looking a lot better than it did a few weeks ago. I mean, Jalen McClendon had an outstanding performance this past week. So I think you have to wonder if he was inserted into the lineup earlier on, what would this team look like right now? Would they actually still be fighting for a playoff spot? So unfortunately for Vegas, they're out of things, but look at the rest of the landscape. It's so intriguing. Just look at the last, these last three weeks, you know we've got multiple matchups between DC and Seattle, and then St. Louis and Seattle, and it's going to come down to. I mean, the DC Defenders open up the season six and zero, but I mean they haven't officially clinched yet, which is crazy. So we'll see what happens. So I'm excited for these upcoming matchups. Well, we can go ahead and just break it down for
1: those that don't have the schedule in front of them. DC Defenders, which I mentioned, is six and one. Week eight, they are on the road at Seattle Sea Dragons. Now, they had previously beat the Sea Dragons in their lone game up to this point. But if the Sea Dragons were to win this game, the tiebreaker gets a little bit further down the weeds because they'll level the record, both at six and two. And then neither one of them will have just the head to head. It would eventually go down to all those other tiebreakers of points and whatnot, all those touchdowns and But we won't get into all those weeds right now because there's just so much more that can happen, scoring and too much to really start being like, okay, well, it's going to be X, Y or Z, the third or fourth rule of the tiebreaker. So that's it's just not doesn't make any sense to actually get there. But we look at their week nine, their home versus the Arlington Renegades, who just is a team that does not have it together. So you'd like to think that that's going to be a defender's game. And they close it out on the road at San Antonio Brahma's, which we just saw Kirk Benkirk post today, which if you read in between the lines, it appears he's got some broken ribs. So they're going to continue to be a carousel at a quarterback position, not saying they can't figure something out by week 10, but aside from the Seattle game, you would have to think that at least, 2 and one in this game, but that Seattle game is really important because of that tiebreaker, and that would really just put some things up into the air
3: and really keep it interesting coming down the stretch before we get into the semifinals. Absolutely, and I think it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens in in this Week 8 game with Seattle, because D.C., I mean, it's pretty much guaranteed they're going to make it. Of course, anything could happen in spring football. We've seen crazier things happen before. But they already beat the Battlehawks twice. So they've got that massive advantage on them right now. Now, what the Seattle Sea Dragons have to do is at least attempt to split with D.C. Because Seattle already dropped one to St. Louis and they already dropped one to D.C. So they can get a win against the Defenders this weekend at home. That'll open the door for them to get a leg up on St. Louis, per se, heading into that Week 9 matchup in St. Louis. And they
1: just added some additional firepower with Philip Lindsay, former All Yeah, pro. that's an
3: incredible signing. I mean, you look at that backfield, which has already seen a lot of success with Morgan Ellison, and now you've got Philip Lindsay joining the squad. So June Jones is cooking over there. He's he's got a good looking offense.
1: Nice to have all those ingredients put together, and you know maybe a buffet. Let's just have at it. See what they Absolutely. all got there, Gordon. You know, just he doesn't seem to be quite in the mix as much as you would have anticipated. But maybe that's by design. Let's see what we have and then we can target because some of those other guys were getting way more targets in some of these games as of late. And Gordon only had two targets. Was it last week? And I was like, well, what's going on here? If if Danucci's taking all these chances elsewhere, why isn't it really going to the guy? But that could be by design. Maybe they just they don't want to hone in on that too much to kind of see what else they got.
3: Right. So, I think there's a couple of factors that play into that. Because for one They have so much talent at the wide receiver position. So it's not just Josh Gordon, right? We've seen the outbreak of Ja'Core Pearson, Jordan Veazey. We've got Blake Jackson, who was in the XFL in 2020, in June Jones offense in Houston, comes over to Seattle, and he's doing the same stuff. In fact, I think he's performing better than he did in 2020. So you have a lot of pieces. But what I find interesting is that Josh Gordon is still the go-to guy in some of those really big situations. He actually did have that ridiculous touchdown catch against Arlington uh in this past win in Week 7. So he's a guy that, while he's not producing as many receptions as we'd expect, he's still making some of those big clutch plays down the stretch. We can rewind back to their first victory in Week 3 against Vegas when he had that ridiculous catch over the defender and then backpedaled into the end zone to win the game. So again, I mean we we're probably expecting him to, you know, have like 10, 12 catches a game, and that's not happening, but he's still making an impact, whether he's on the field or off.
1: So let's go ahead and take a look at the team sitting second in the standings, the St. Louis Battlehawks, five and two. Their week eight matchup is at home against the Vegas Vipers, or two and five. Their week nine matchup is at home versus the Seattle Sea Dragons who will be another situation of a tiebreaker scenario. So depending on how that game plays out, that also is going to have some really interesting implications moving forward. And then they close it out week 10 at home versus the Orlando guardians who are one in six. Now looking at this, you would think they had the easiest road to secure the playoff spot, but this is my line of thinking. You tell me exactly where I'm wrong. Please do. I look at the Vegas Vipers as they have nothing to lose now. They're playing literally for just house money. Nothing. They're they're not in the playoffs. They're 100% spoiler at this point. If McClendon is kind of finding his footing with the team and they are just enough for it, that can be dangerous. You know, just a dangerous team where they have literally nothing to lose. Nothing to gain, but nothing to lose at this point either. And then looking at that week 9 game, I think that's a very tough game cuz looking at the Sea Dragons, they are the hottest team now. Regardless if you want to break down Denucci's passing whether it's good bad or ugly depending on what night you see, but the ability of just to win games for that team, they're the hottest team right now. They're on a roll. So, Orlando talk about a team that's completely different under Dormady. That is a dangerous team. Obviously, they just knocked off the best team in the league, which I don't think anybody saw it coming, but I think a lot of Guardians fans were like, you know what, we're looking better and better every week. Well, if they keep looking better and better, week 10, and if they have still some or a shot at the playoffs, I think that could be a difficult game for them. So I think it looks easy when you look at the records on there that they should pick up two more wins, but I think at least one of those games are going to be a catch me if they're not careful.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I actually completely agree with that analysis. And, and speaking of, of Orlando, I actually just published a piece today on Quentin Dormady for the XFL Newsroom and just how he's revolutionized his offense. But if you look at all three of these games, there is always something to play for, even if you're not in the playoffs. Because these guys, they're let's be real, they're trying to get back to the NFL. So it doesn't matter if the record's 0-7 or 7-0, and they're going to go out there and put their best foot forward, and they're going to be playing at 110% of what they can give because they're trying to get back to the NFL. They need the film, they need to get it on tape, and they need to show these NFL scouts and coaches what they're made of. So Vegas Vipers, sure, they're out of the playoffs, but I'm, they're going to come out firing as they always do. And under McClendon and his leadership, that could end up being a trap game. Now, the good thing for St. Louis is they're at home for— three straight games during the most important stretch of their season. That might end up being the biggest factor of this entire thing, because it is tough to go into St. Louis and win the only team that's done that in the last. So if we're we're going back to 2020 and 2023, the only team that's won in St. Louis is DC. That's it. St. Louis is undefeated against all the other teams. So we'll see if that plays a factor, but I'd expect, you know, at least 30, 35,000 fans at a game. It's gonna be a factor. there's no there's no if buts about it, so we'll see. I really think that it might come down to this week nine matchup against Seattle just because d c probably should still maintain the number one seed given their strength of the schedule and they're gonna get back on track. It's gonna come down really to week nine who's who's gonna come out victorious in St. Louis? Well, I think that's when you look now at the Seattle Sea dragons.
1: Remaining three games, they're sitting five and two. Week eight, we already mentioned the, the game at home versus the Defenders. Week nine, they're at St. Louis, as we had just mentioned, and they close it out week ten versus the Vegas Vipers, which is again a team that just has nothing to lose. So, looking at this, Seattle has to bring it. I, I think they're going to really have to bring it. They're the hottest team right now, but they're going to bring it. They're you know just loaded up with Philip Lindsay and whatnot. But the reality is they need to make sure they get one of those tiebreakers. They have to win one of those two games, either the defenders or the Battlehawks, Hawks, in my opinion, because one, that's exactly who it's down between. It's between you three teams and you have to beat, you know, one of those other ones to keep yourself alive. It's going to help you with the tiebreakers, going to help, you know, as you get a win, it's taking the win away from them. It is just simple math. when you look at if they can win both of those, obviously, they're in the driver's seat, but they have to at least win one of those, I think. And then you'd have to think the Vipers, they, they're going to take care of business. But the other thing with the Vipers, it's not just the players are playing for their futures, whether they're going to stay in this league or have a, a shot back at the National Football League. Guys like Coach Woodson and the staff are going to be playing for their jobs because everyone knew that that team was stacked with talent. And you'd have to think, gonna you know, some of these other leagues that have kind of moved on from these coaches after one year. Not the ones that have left on their own, but we're talking about the coaches that just got axed. I'm not saying Woodson's on a hot seat, but he's kind of on a hot seat, in my opinion. With that talent, at some point, I think your Hall of Fame status only goes so far, but a rookie head coach and you had a team kind of stacked, in my opinion, and you didn't deliver. So that's got to kind of, and not to go on this tangent or limb too much on
3: that because, you know, they're not in the playoff picture, but their play is going to have an impact. Absolutely. And again, you can never overlook any opponent in a spring league just because, like, you never know what's going to happen. So we'll see how it all pans out, but I'm extremely intrigued to see how that turnout is in Week 9 and what things look like after Week 8. Seattle, if they can pick up a win at home over D.C., then they've got a ton of momentum heading into that ball game. So we'll see. But St. Louis, at the same time, they're a powerhouse, too. Yeah, they have two losses, but they're against the defenders who are, I mean, the best team in the XFL. So St. Louis needs a tiebreaker
1: against somebody. Yeah. Because they don't have it against the defenders. So the Battle Hawks, that game really means a lot for St. Louis, in my opinion, when they play the, Seattle. It, so that's they're going to have to really make sure they have something, that extra tiebreaker. Because that's what it's going to come down to. You, you know you don't have it with the defenders defenders or at least had that against one of the the three teams remaining. So we'll move on to the only other division left. Surprisingly, the South division is a bit more chaotic. (laughs) Who who would have thought I'm sorry. Yeah. I still find it funny in a way. It's just before the season kicked off, I thought the Arlington Renegades would run away with this division. Again, another veteran team, And I'm not saying necessarily with a lot of National Football League success. I'm just talking about they were veteran spring league players. You had Bob Stoops coming back. You had the Hayes brothers on the coaching staff. You just thought, hey, they've been here. They know what to expect. They know what to do. So here, this team's not going to miss a beat. Yet, it was the Houston Roughnecks who came out firing on all cylinders when I thought they were one of the worst teams. And they did so amassing a four and O record to get things started off aside from week one, somehow the San Antonio Brahmas and even the Orlando guardians started off looking horrible, you know? So, I mean, you know, the Brahmas did, they were competitive week one against St. Louis, but since then, I don't know, just don't, it's been like a different team. And then the guardians obviously were just a mess from day one. And it's, uh, you know, as a season ticket holder, I think I'm allowed to be a little bit more rough on them than probably anybody else, because Hey, I put my money where my mouth is and I drive the two and a half, three hours out to Campbell world stadium from Southwest Florida for these games. So not to get a pat on the back. I'm just saying I'm allowed to be a little bit rough on these guys. Oddly enough, the roughnecks are in the midst of a three game losing streak. Talk about starting out on hot. Then all of a sudden, what the heck? The renegades Brahma seem to be somewhat, lurking around and squeaking out random victories here and there, but either one of them are doing so hot. While the Guardians with Quentin Dormady have found new life. But as we had mentioned, each week they've been putting it a little bit better than somehow knocking off the best team in the league. But with one win, you know it's hard to believe that they're in the playoff hunt. Each one of those teams four wins, three wins, two wins, one win. Three weeks remaining, they're all in the hunt. So, somehow, being in this position, limping into the possibility of earning a playoff spot, we'll take a look, you know, again, Roughnecks are in first, four and three. got the three and four Renegades sitting in second. We have the San Antonio Brahma's in third at, what, two and five. And then, somehow, the Guardians still in it at one and six.
3: Well, I'll tell you what happened to Houston. They started playing the North. And I think <laughs> it's pretty clear the North Division is by far the stronger division. Yeah. So the Roughnecks kind of got exposed simply because they're a good team. I mean, they've got a lot of good players, but you put Houston in the North Division and they're not even sniffing the playoffs right now. At least in my opinion. Or they'd be in the hunt. They'd be somewhere they're not they wouldn't be first in the division, that's for sure. sure. So they kind of have caught a bit of a break simply because Arlington, San Antonio, and Orlando have just been so inconsistent that they've been able to squeak by with a couple of wins against Arlington and San Antonio and Orlando. They've got two wins against Orlando, which were at the beginning of the season when Orlando was just a dumpster fire. So I don't know. Houston really seems a lot weaker to me than they actually, than their record reflects. So we'll see how that plays out. But interesting to note, the Arlington Renegades just signed quarterback Kelly Bryant as of about an hour before this recording. So that's an interesting piece of information because they just made a trade for Luis Perez, who was the Vegas Vipers quarterback, last week. And now they're bringing in Kelly Bryant and Drew Plitt, who's gotten a few starts this season. He's now on the injured reserve, and I'm assuming we don't see him again this season. So... A lot of moving pieces for Bob Stoops there in Arlington, and I've got to say, I'm I'm definitely disappointed in Arlington's performance this season, just because, like you, I mean, looking on paper, that team was stacked. Like, you look every, during the draft, for example, every time I'd see who they pick up in a round, I'd be like, how did they get this guy too? It was like, it was just ridiculous. It just kept picking up star after star, but it just never really Worked out for the team. And it goes to show that in spring football, it's not always about the players. It's about the systems. It's about, you know, the coaching. It's just about can these players actually develop chemistry with each other in such a short amount of time? And clearly in Arlington, Jonathan Hayes' system just hasn't been ideal for the players that they have on their roster. So again, as wild as it is, Orlando still has a chance. And it's actually more of a reasonable shot the playoffs than you would think because. They're 1-6, and but Arlington's 3-4. and They're bringing in quarterbacks like crazy, so it's going to be tough to expect Perez and or Kelly Bryan if he gets thrown into the mix. You can't expect much out of them. They've just been in the league for a week or two. I mean, granted, Perez has been in the XFL since the season started, but being in Vegas and Arlington is two different settings, so it's tough to expect him to be sharp right out of the gate as well during this crucial stretch. San Antonio... Same thing. Kurt Bankert is hurt. Who knows what his status is going to be? And they, even with Kurt Bankert in there, they didn't look great. So, which is not Bankert's fault, to be fair. It's just their team has really struggled to build chemistry, especially from an offensive perspective. They lost Kalen Balaj for the whole season. It's just the whole South. It's crazy how all of these teams have just had so many moving pieces this entire year. But there's one team that
1: despite dysfunction, despite being undisciplined, is making improvements each week. We look at some of these other teams, we're not really seeing that steady improvement. If anything, right. we're seeing a, either just remain stagnant or a decline. In the one team that's improving, which gives some credence or some, you know, I guess, street cred hope. to the possibility and hope that, they actually might be able to pull this off. So let's let's break down each of the three remaining games for obviously all four teams that are still in the hunt. We'll start with the Houston Roughnecks sitting at the top of four and three. Their week eight matchup, they're on the road at San Antonio, who are two and five. They're week nine, they're at home versus the Vegas Vipers, we are also two and five. And then week 10, they're at the Arlington Renegades, who are three and four. We'll just kind of keep going down through here. We'll just kind of speed it up, and then we can visit which games we think are going to be more impact. The Arlington Renegades, obviously, who are sitting second, three and four, their Week 8 matchup. They're at the Orlando Guardians, who are now coming off a massive win. Their only win, but a massive win. That's what really now makes this an eye-opener, in my opinion. Week 9, they're on the road at the D.C. Defenders. And then they close it out Week 10 at home versus the Houston Roughnecks. So in third place, the San Antonio Brahmas at two and five. Week eight, they are at home versus the Houston Roughnecks. Week nine, they're at home against the Orlando Guardians. Then they close it out. Week ten, at home versus the DC Defenders. Then obviously the fourth place, bottom of the peril, the Guardians one and six. Week eight, I mean they're at home versus Arlington. And week nine, they're on the road at San Antonio Brahmas. And then week 10, they close it out at St. Louis Battlehawks. When you look at it now the remaining games, the matchups they have, knowing what we know about each of these teams, which games do you think are going to be the, the most
3: focal games? How do you think they play out for these teams? I think it's going to be really intriguing to watch how Houston finishes the season. And I know I just trash talk the team a little bit. But I do think that with their position, and of course starting the season 4-0 in a very weak division, they're probably safe. They should be fine. I think they're playing San Antonio, Vegas, and Arlington. They should win at least two of those games. They'll finish the season around 6-4 and and win the division. As for San Antonio and Arlington, they're in a bit of trouble, especially because they can't find stability at the quarterback position. See, What makes Orlando so interesting here is that Quentin Dormity has come in and after everything he went through, which was just a wild situation to say the least, he's come in, he's given some stability to Terrell Buckley and the Guardians, and now they actually have a lot more momentum than San Antonio and Arlington. So if you look at at Orlando, for them, it might come down to week 10 against St. Louis, who also might be fighting for their postseason hopes. So it's really going to be wild down the stretch here. I'd say Week 8, Orlando, obviously, they have to beat Arlington. They already lost the previous game to Arlington, and actually, if the Renegades win this game, that knocks Orlando out of postseason contention altogether. So if they can put together a win at home, which they should be able to do, I mean, Arlington, we don't even know who's going to be starting at quarterback for them. I'd assume it's Luis Perez, but... Even if he's in there, and if he's not, it's going to be tough for one of these quarterbacks to play in a system that they haven't been in for more than one or two weeks. So Orlando at home, that I'm giving them a win there. Week 9, they're in San Antonio. I don't know what the Browns are doing, but their offense is just way too stagnant. I'm taking Orlando in that game too, to be honest. That is if they play the way they did against D.C. They don't have to score 37 points. They just need to play complete football. We'll see what happens. The the plus side for the Guardians here is that they just their defense isn't great, but it should be good enough to at least contain a relatively weak or Arlington and San Antonio offense. I think that's the kicker there. Can their defense just play just good enough to give them a chance in Week Ten? That defense just be
1: a actually pretty good productive side last week and the defenders. because even Abram Smith still rushed for over a hundred yards? So it's not like shut down Abram Smith. Then you look over at Jordan Tom, who he's had two back-to-back solid games, passing games. We're not just talking, incorporate. So if you look at it, they still did well. It's not, but they allowed 36 points. Right. And in a way, the defense is fortunate because, I mean, we're talking about they stuck with them, but they did. They allowed 36 points. They allowed significant production from the rushing game, passing game. They got bailed out by two missed field goals. They still earned the victory because we have seen them falter with either penalties or the line just gives up when they had that last drive trying to come down to score to win the game against Vegas. So they they put the game together. They didn't crumble. And that it was a very high-stakes game that they actually rose to the occasion. So here's the thing. Hopefully, they don't play to the level of their opponent. Again, because if that's the case, this defense, you just can't let a guy like Devon Smith run all over you. He's a solid back in his own right, right? Maybe he's not seen the numbers we saw from him in 2020. He played for the then Tampa Vipers. But the reality is he's, he's a solid back. They're going to have to hone in. They're going to to do something. The defense is going to have to step up, make sure that offense, you can't win with 10 or 12 points. This offense is going to have to step up, play another solid defense that they just did, and overcome it. So again, yes, this game determines if Orlando has a possibility to move forward or not. San Antonio, I think they're just too dinged up right now. And watching, depending on week after week, I thought Mack was going to be this massive player for them. And then sometimes it's just, where is he? he? Towers over everybody you see. Like when I was in, when they played in Orlando, I mean, you could just see it. Those defensive backs, they have a chance. Why aren't they going to a guy like that? But then when, in certain games, where is he? Why aren't you taking advantage of that? Is there an ongoing issue with injuries? Is there some head bunting? Maybe that's what we've seen with some other teams, why we saw like Kyle and when I get released. So maybe these new quarterbacks coming in Arlington, there could be, you know, a little bit of an issue there too. Who knows? But it seems like these teams have just enough dysfunction. And even then they bring in new pieces, the new pieces are not obviously taking it. So I, I don't know. I think Orlando obviously has a shot. I do, I agree with you. I think right. the Roughnecks, there's, I can't see a way they don't make it. But when I look at these schedules, the Brahma's, I don't see them beating the the defenders. You look at Arlington, I don't see them beating the defenders. Heck, I don't even know if either one of those teams can beat Houston. That's why I think Houston's locked. When you look at Orlando's games remaining, Arlington, yeah, that's beatable for them. They have to win it. If they don't, then it doesn't matter anyway. But it's it's all in. It's at home. Then they're on the road at San Antonio. If they could put together those two games and wins, and they're 3-6, and I mean, I don't know what would happen to St. Louis, but, you know, it just, it all depends. It just, I can't imagine. It's, it could be some ugly football too. This could be some ugly football coming down the stretch out of this division, and I'm not hoping yeah. for that. Obviously, I'm hoping for games like we just saw, the Guardians rising to the moment in the challenge. So hopefully, maybe, we'll see some team improving. Because isn't, isn't that important? It's when you get hot. You don't want to get hot in the beginning of the season. You want to get hit hot later in the season when you can make a run. So maybe things are happening in Orlando. It's hard to believe. But yeah, maybe the team that would have the most likely shot when I look at these. But one loss, they're out.
3: Right. Well, that's the thing. There's no more room for error. I think that's what we saw the first half of the season was them constantly shooting themselves in the foot. And these self-inflicted wounds. They need to cut those down because now they've left themselves with literally no room. They cannot slip up once. If they do, it's over. But with that being said, you know I I don't have I'm not a fan for any team in the XFL, so I can be very non-biased here. It's fair to say that Orlando has a shot, which is wild. I can't believe I'm saying that and week heading into week eight, but they do have a shot. They're the hottest team in the South right now, and they're playing two teams, the Brahmas and the Renegades, that have zero identity. That's the thing with these spring leagues. It's all about finding your identity and figuring out what you do well as a team. That's why these teams in the north have been so successful. DC, they've got an a ridiculous rushing attack, right? St. Louis, they've got AJ McCarron, who's their leader. Seattle, same thing. They've got that spread and shred of offense. And then Houston, they they're losing their identity a little bit, but AJ Smith, I'm confident he'll get them back on track. Silvers will get healthy. But Arlington and San Antonio. They don't have any identity. We don't really know what the team is. With seven weeks behind us, is kind of crazy to say. So Orlando, they found their identity, and that's in Quinton Dormity. So can he lead them to the postseason? We, we'll see. But they at least are on the right track compared to San Antonio Arlington. They pick up these two wins, and oh boy, it's going to get interesting.
1: I have to make a correction. I was just wrong about something. The Guardians can technically lose one more game. It just cannot be to Arlington. Right. Because three wins, if they beat Arlington, then Arlington just doesn't win any more games out. So, therefore, that means even if San Antonio were to, I won't say win out, but win one more game, but then the Guardians would have to beat them. They'd have to make sure there's no tiebreaker, right? It just means that if the Gardens are going to lose, if they're going to lose a game and still have any chance, it has to be only to St. Louis. It's crazy to think. Right. A three-game winner
3: could be the second semifinalist out of the South Division. That would be one of the craziest things that we've ever seen in spring football. But as I like to say, it's spring football and anything's possible. So I wouldn't put it past the South Division to end like that. But hopefully for Orlando's sake, they just decide not to lose, so that way they can just get in. But we'll see. Now, another thing to note is that, say all three teams were tied at 3-7, and seven, it would probably come down to their divisional record, like their record against teams in their division. And Orlando started this season 0-4 in that regard, so that doesn't help. So we'll see. I mean, really, in all honesty, they need these two wins and... Hopefully, they can get one against St. Louis, too. But we'll see what happens. And I don't know, but the Battlehawks could be fighting for their postseason lives in Week 10 and heading into the Dome in St. Louis. Who knows what's going to happen? All right. So, if I was to put you on the spot, the North Division, who's the one seed and who's the two seed when this is all said and done? D.C. will be the one seed, and I'd have to lean towards St. Louis just because of their home field advantage that they're gonna have these final three weeks. If they find a way to blow that, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, you know I just I'm not seeing them disagreeing. I'm just looking back at these schedules really quick. Yeah. I agree. Even if there's a catch me, it's gotta be St. Louis is the two seed. It's gotta be. I mean there's no way I just can't see them losing to both Vegas and Orlando. I couldn't see, th- I could see them losing to the Dragons, but I can't see them losing there. So I, right. I agree.
3: I, I think that the Sea Dragons and the thing closing is, schedule just looks too tough to me. St. Louis could technically afford to lose to the Dragons in week nine if they win the two other games and if DC beat uh, Seattle this weekend. Right. So, I mean, so, help. All these teams could use help. So, looking at the South, though, let's. Same question. Who's your one, who's your two seed? Houston's the one, I think pretty clearly. And the two seed, I'll be honest, it really is a toss-up between Arlington and Orlando. Literally, whoever wins that game in Week 8 will have the best shot at grabbing that two seed. And I want to lean towards Orlando to win that game, because I do think they have the upper hand against Arlington, But at the same time, I do think Arlington will find a way to win at least one more game heading down the stretch. So I think it's fair to say that Arlington, odds-wise, has the higher chance. But I wouldn't count Orlando out either. I think Arlington does not win this weekend.
1: I think that does keep the Guardians in the mix, but I, I just can't. I think it's just it's impossible that they don't find one more win because I think Coach Stoops will make a change at you know at OC if he has to. Somebody else making calls, play, calling plays. I just I can't see it not happening. The team's too too talented on the offense not to finally get something figured out. All it takes is a Perez, Heck, a Bryant, whatever's going to do to be a new spark plug, and it could just be changing in play. Because I think Arlington's going to. One more win, they'll take care of business. I, I think they will. I just, but I don't think it's this weekend. I don't think they get it against the Guardians. I, I think it's just too soon. I think the Guardians are coming off something pretty good. But I, I'm gonna go this as far. I think the Guardians finished third in the division. I, I don't. I see just San Antonio slipping, in which I don't know if I would have said that earlier this year. Now, I'm kind of surprised. With just injuries kind of happen. It doesn't matter who they brought in now. Kirk Kirk, if he's got three broken ribs, you lost Belage. You know, Cone, we don't know where he is, where he is it? Like last minute, he was going to start last week and all of a sudden, then he was inactive. He wasn't suiting up or whatever. So, I mean, this is kind of tough. So, you know, good stuff. I, I know this is not always exciting to talk about because there's just no way to really have a crystal ball to foresee this. There's I mean, just too many scenarios. <clears throat> and this could be have honest, been a two hour I mean, episode. Makes it exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It makes it very exciting. But we could have talked for two hours dissecting every possible way. And I've seen some of them out there and I'm like, well, I'm not going to steal these people's thunder. But like the reality is there's just, there's a, a bunch of possibilities that could make it for either one of these teams. And it's great stuff. But James, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And I appreciate you taking the time to come back on um, to discuss this XFL playoff craziness that's we're not even in the playoffs but just the craziness that's leading up to it but this is what makes it exciting football for a league like the XFL is that there are several of meaningful games and to only have one team out of the pitcher at this point that's that's pretty good in my opinion I think that's good for the league it's going to be good for people just continue to buy in and hopefully it's just going to whatever new people are coming in are going to know that there's meaningful games like weeks one to two not that they didn't count in the standings but they just teams are figuring themselves out where now we have few teams that still got to figure out their quarterback situation only because of a couple of different issues, injuries and whatnot.
3: But for the most part, these teams know who they are. So it's it's interesting. Without a doubt. And the good news for the XFL is that it's still going to be competitive football down the stretch here with playoffs on the line. After week five or week six, I was thinking like, oh man, the playoffs might just be decided and the last three weeks might not matter at all. But uh, who would have thought? We saw some crazy twists the last week and t- last two weeks, and I'm I'm excited for what's ahead. As am I.
1: Before you go, why don't you go ahead and put yourself out there as to where
3: everyone could find you and your work if they want to follow you a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, my, my Twitter handle is at James Larson PFN, uh, and that's where most of my work will be. I'm a writer for the XFL newsroom, so, of course, always creating content. Over there, all things XFL-related, so check it out. Definitely go check him out. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me on.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It is always a treat to have James on the show. Not only is he well-connected, he is also knowledgeable. If you are not already following him or the XFL newsroom, I recommend you do so. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing, if you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time. Cheers.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate player 54 podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at player 54 podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.